Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> It'd be funny if we caught that. It just felt right. I don't know why. <laughs> All right. We are back on another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. We have basketball, baseball, and football to talk about today. Got a lot, a lot, a lot to discuss. We're going to start with the Bucks in Game 5. Um, game 5 of the Bucks and Bulls series, and we're going to talk about Games 1 and 2 of the Celtics series. And we're going to spend a lot of time looking forward at Game 3. But let's start with Game 5. Shouldn't be too long to talk about because this game was kind of over before it started without Alex Caruso and Zach Levine playing. Um, but mm-hmm. let's start with Game 5. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Bulls really didn't stand much chance anyways with a fully healthy roster. Yeah. Um, maybe if Lonzo Ball was playing, I still would take the Bucks. It would have been a much more interesting series, I think. Wouldn't have been yeah. the blowouts. But without, you know, their probably best peer scorer, I think he's, you know, because he could score everywhere. He's a three-level scorer, Zach Levine. Yep. Um, and, you know, without Caruso, who's their defensive guy. And without Big Cheese. Yeah, he, he was the guy, you know. He was the one that got him going in game two. So. Yep. Uh, without those two, this was really no match. Uh, basically, just a, an extra game to make a little extra money for the city of Milwaukee. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but Giannis, 33-9-3. Drew Holiday didn't even play that well. Had 10-9. and Bro- uh, Bobby Portis, though, 14-17. and Bobby has literally been hooping since being put into the starting lineup. He just plays with more energy. I don't know what that is about. Last year he was so good off the bench, and he still had good games. But... I think he's going to have to get back into that role. Hopefully he doesn't go into another slump like he did in the regular season when Chris comes back, which if you haven't seen, Tyler posted uh, Chris was uh, working out. He was just doing some shots. I don't think he was really technically working mm-hmm. out, but he was getting some shots up. Which he was is, on the court and upright. Yeah, so. that's definitely a sight to see for us. Um, yeah, Pat Connaughton, mm-hmm. six, six of nine from behind the arc. He was going crazy. This really wasn't much of a game, and when you look at the stats, the one stat that I found funny – they had 15 more three-point attempts than rebounds. That is how you know you were losing the entire game. They shot 52 three-pointers for a team that's not good at shooting threes, and they didn't shoot that many in the regular season. They ended up with 37 rebounds. That's poor. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> that's gross. That is not good. The Bucks, on the other hand, shot 36 and they had 51 rebounds. That is where I want that ratio oh. being. Yes. Wow. All right, well, it's kind of a weird start. The Bucks started out one of seven and then made nine of their next nine shots. Still had a lot of turnovers early. Um, mm-hmm. Too much dribbling, leaving your feet to pass, stuff like that. Um, yeah, Jake Burst. already mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, Pat Connaughton, like Jake already said, hot. Giannis was five for five. In the first quarter, um, he had 15 points and six rebounds. He didn't miss a shot until there was two minutes left in the second quarter, and it was a three that he airballed. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so he had 23 points at halftime. The Bucks had a really balanced scoring in the first half of this game. Bobby, um, 
Bobby only had two at halftime, but Javon Carter had four. Pat Connaughton had six. Grayson Allen had seven. Wesley Matthews had five. Drew Holiday had five. And Brooke Lopez had eight to go with Giannis' 23. Bucks came out a little flat at halftime. Um, Bobby Portis came in, scored eight minutes and eight points in a two-minute stretch in the third quarter. And then after that, everybody kind of followed and uh, everybody got back into rhythm. Um, Bucks did eventually outscore the Bulls by by five points in the third quarter. And watching this game, it made me wonder if if the Nets regretted cutting Javon Carter. Uh, well, if you are the next game that we played, they definitely do. <laughs> so I don't think Dragic was that good on their team. He didn't fit at all. He didn't. I mean, he was there to be the backup point guard, and he ended up being the starting point guard because Ben Simmons never touched the floor. <laughs> And, you know, pause for a sec. People are going to talk about who won that trade, right? Yeah. I don't think either team won the trade. I don't either. James Harden sucks. He's horrible now. You have to run pick and roll Uh, with him. You have to. He cannot go one-on-one. He's not going past nobody because they allow more physicality. He can't do his flopping shit no more. Mm -hmm. And then Ben Simmons didn't even play. I heard he was going to play game five, but, but they didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah, but just like Zion was going to play Game 7. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I don't think either team had trade. The Nets. Maybe the Nets. But they both suck. All right. So, Javon Carter in this game finished with six points, three rebounds, four assists, and five steals. That is, you know, that doesn't blow your mind in any specific category, but that is a lot of contributions in a lot of areas for a guy who's like the eighth man off the Ninth roster. Ninth man, shit. Um, yeah, when everybody's healthy. Uh, Jake already mentioned Pat Connaughton, 20 points. Wesley Matthews, 8 points, 4 rebounds, 4 steals. When he's got games like that, that's where the Bucks are in a really good place. When Javon Carter's giving you 6, 3, 4, 5 steals, and Wesley Matthews is giving 8 points, 4 rebounds, 4 steals, and getting some assists. Um, Brooke Lopez had 12 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 blocks. Bobby Portis had 14 points, scored 12 of them in the second half. When you get that kind of balance and contributions from everybody on the roster, that's where the Bucks are really dangerous. Grayson Allen had 13 points and five rebounds. Um, Grayson Allen outscored DeMar DeRozan in games three, four, and five. <laughs> uh, you know, we should have went back uh, and added up the total points for the series. I bet you Grayson outscored him. It'd be really close. Uh, Grayson only had like eight points in the first two games combined. DeRozan had like 41 in one of those games. Yeah, that's true. But then he had 22, 27, and 13. That would have been cl- it'd be close. I bet it'd be close. It'd be really close. All right, so let's let's go. Let's switch to the Celtics series. Let's talk about game one. All right, game one. Wow. Um, I couldn't believe they came out with as much energy as they did, first of all. Uh, they came out and they were just like lit- – in, you know, we're going to look into the future. We know what happening, happened last night. But the Bucks, I feel like, had the mindset that we have to get one on the road. Yeah. And that and that's what you do as the lower seed, right? So yep. everybody that's freaking out, relax. We did our job. We got right. one on the road. We pro- yep. If we win the next two at home, we're almost guaranteed the Eastern Conference Finals. We're not losing three straight. Right. We're just not. I, I just don't see it. I really don't. There's not a scenario. Unless Giannis and Drew Holiday get hurt. I even think without... Giannis, for one game, I think they would just win at least one. I really With, do. The way that I look at it is that now it's a five-game series and three of them are in Milwaukee. Yeah. That's how you got to look at it. 
So they did their job. They got one. They got game yep. one. So we're going into game one, and Giannis, yes, he did not shoot that well. He was a volume scorer. He was a, he's been a volume scorer the first two games of this series. It would be nice yep. if he could be a little bit more efficient with his – he's yep. just got to finish those – and you know what? We get so used to his greatness that when he doesn't finish all those layups, it's like, damn, what the hell's going on with us? He must be getting fouled. There's plenty of good defense. If Giannis finishes, you know, you know, even half of those layups that he's missing, he's going absolutely nuts. He's going to have like 35 points. Yeah, game. he's he's going crazy. But he ended the game, game one, 24 points, 13 rebounds, and 12 assists. That's a power forward with 12 assists, dude. That is ridiculous. And then you add in Drew Holiday, who had 25, 9, and 5. I'm going to leave Javon Carter for you because, holy camoly, his plus-minus is insane in this game. <laughs> Bobby Portis with another double-double. Uh, he was efficient, 6 of 12. He hit two threes. Drew Holiday hit three threes. So those are the guys that are just spreading the floor, making it easier for Giannis. And we forced the Celtics to, to shoot 53-pointers, right? And they made 18 of them. So... 54 of their 89 points that they had were f- from behind the three-point line. So if you continue to do that and close out the paint and force them to make shots, I feel like you're in a good spot, man. If you force them to go 18 of 50 and that's the only shots that they're getting rather than getting in the rhythm they got last night, I feel like you're in a really good spot. And that is exactly you know the point that Mike Boonholzer always does. Look at his teams in Atlanta. Look at his teams in Milwaukee since he's come over here. He's like, listen, I'm betting that you can't do that four times. And if you can't, well, congratulations. You're, You're really, really win. good at shooting threes. I, I, I wouldn't. That's honestly, if, if Boston oh shoots God. four times the way the, <laughs> the way they did last night, uh, it is Star Wars day. So I mean, you got that going for you. I'm um, getting sick of this if, shit. <laughs> <laughs> if Boston shoots the way they did last night four times, like honestly, like we really couldn't even be mad about it because that would just be great basketball. Like I don't. Tip the cap, baby. That's it. If you do that four fucking times, That's you deserve respect. to beat us. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. I'm looking something up while we're talking about game one that I want to know for game two. So, all right. So, ball movement is going to be absolutely crucial. It was in the beginning of this game. Drew Holiday started this game off really well, hit two threes and hit an assist to Giannis. But then this game, four turnovers in the first five minutes. Guys just got to play within themselves a little bit. The Bucks had seven turnovers in the first quarter. I will say they did clean it up. Seven turnovers in the first quarter. They had seven turnovers in the next three quarters. Yep. So, I mean, that was better the rest of the game, but they still got to clean that up early because that's mm-hmm. something that can give Boston an early lead like they had last night. And even if you win the second half, if you dig yourself a huge hole like the Bucks did, you're not going to be able to dig out of it. You know what they say, man. You can't win the game in the first quarter, but you can freaking lose it. Yeah. Um, so, second quarter. Um, this is where Brook Lopez didn't score a ton, but his size was felt in this game. So, he was doing work around the rim um, and just con- basically just controlling the restricted circle on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I want to give credit in this game to Grayson Allen, Wesley Matthews, Pat Connaughton, Javon Carter, all for getting over screens. Yes. We're going to come back to this when we talk about other stuff. Um, Scott, definitely bucks and six. Um, I want to give Javon Carter some more credit for missing a three. He comes down and instantly gets a steal. 
So he's he's staying locked in, even if he's not shooting well, he's staying locked into the defensive end. That's something that Wesley Matthews is really good at too. Um, get into the the end of the first half. Um, Bucks had a 10-0 run to end the first quarter. Um, role players hitting threes: Javon Carter, Pat Connaughton. Um, the bench was six for eight on threes in the first half, and the Bucks had 18 first fast break points in the first half. That's the most they had the entire season. That's crazy. Yeah, that's how you. So, that's how you went on the road against a good team. And against the defensive teams, you go score in transition. That's something I was worried about Boston doing to the Bucks because that's how they killed Brooklyn was scoring in transition. Yeah, Brooklyn. And that's the only they, way the Bulls were scoring on the Bucks in the first round series was getting out in transition. So I, that was why that was one of my keys coming into game one was getting back in transition because Boston had been doing that well. Um, it's, May, it's May 4th. <laughs> I don't know what's funny about that. It's May 4th. Uh, some would say May the 4th. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I'm going to fucking blow a gasket on this show, dude. <laughs> uh, all right. So, second half. The too much dribbling. That's It's got to go. That's so much back to the basket. Just dribble, 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 dribble. And it's either dribbling off the leg or somebody picks the pocket. Just keep the ball moving. Just keep the ball yeah. moving. Um, it sucks because I wanted to see what was going to happen with this lineup, but at 4.03 in the third quarter, Budenholzer went with a small lineup of Javon Carter, Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, and Giannis. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. I want to see more of that. I want to see it. Especially if Grant Williams is going to be the primary defender on Giannis and they're going to try to leave Horford or somebody out there. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll talk about what I want to talk about with Pat Connaughton when we talk about game two, but... I want to see that lineup more. Like it the happened, f- there was like one possession, and then Giannis got a foul, and he had to come out, and they put Brooke Lopez back in. But um, I feel like you get enough rebounding and shooting with that lineup, man. That's a great lineup, man. Seriously, I I love the potential of that. I just want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that'd be awesome. I want to see more of that lineup. Okay, I found the thing I was looking for. Okay, so. Drew Drew did this a couple more times last night, driving on Al Horford and scoring at the rim. Mm-hmm. That's He's crazy. done that like three times so far in the first two games. Um, Big Cheese said, may the fourth be with the Brewers tonight. I had to put my Willie Adamas jersey on. I could not put any other jersey on today. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so the Bucks third quarter – I think they I think they won the third quarter by two points or lost the third quarter by two points. It was one of the two. Um mm-hmm. zero made threes in the third quarter of that game. Yep. And they still held serve. Drew opened the fourth quarter with a tough floater. Um Javon Carter playing fantastic on ball defense on Jalen Brown. Not letting him go anywhere. It was awesome to watch Javon Carter on ball defense on Jalen Brown in that game. Um, Wesley Matthews was frustrating Jason Tatum. That's the kind of energy we need for game three is, is getting into guys' jerseys and frustrating them, not letting them get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Drew Holiday does some disrespectful stuff. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. yeah the seven-and-a-half-minute sure mark in the fourth quarter, he gets a steal and then pulls up a three in transition and just straight cash. 
That's, Isn't that ridiculous, dude? He's so good on defense. Now he can pull up threes. That's that's not fair. Um, and then Giannis Giannis did some some cool stuff. <laughs> I'd say. I would throws definitely the, say. Throws the ball off the backboard to himself. Kind of got trapped, and he's just like, "Screw it, I'm gonna do it myself." And he did it himself. My favorite thing was I saw the morning after Wesley Matthews' reaction to it. And I, I, dude, I bet you I watched it like 15 times. It was so funny. He was walking, watching Wesley Matthews walk away with his eyes wide open. Do the face. Um, do the face. <laughs> um, next possession, Boston comes down and Giannis draws a charge. I think that might be the first time I've ever seen him do that. Do it for real. He always tries to block. <laughs> I don't think I've ever. Yeah, man. man I, well, like I said, I think that was the first time I ever saw Giannis draw a charge. Maybe young Giannis, but not this Giannis. Shoot, I I doubt it. Young Giannis is probably jumping at the ball too, trying to get blocks. Yeah, you're right. He was definitely a foul machine. He was definitely. Yeah. He he just wanted to have the ball every single time it was anywhere near. <laughs> He's like, give him a ball back. Give him a ball. <laughs> not a good dunk it. Uh, so Jake mentioned the twenty-five nine and. Five by Drew, three steals, only two turnovers was a key there for Drew Holiday. Um, mentioned the triple double by Giannis. It was his second career postseason triple double. Um, I <laughs> did you hear Doris Burke? Peyton Pritchard started the fourth quarter, zero for four on threes. Did you hear what Doris Burke said? No, what she say? She goes, she goes. Peyton Pritchard. She's like, I admire the confidence, but he's two for eight. That's what she said. She said that, yeah. She's like, I oh really my god, like, what? what a savage! <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, okay, Doris. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's fucking funny though. Um, Bobby Portis finished with fifteen and eleven. Brooke Lopez finished with six points, ten rebounds, and three blocks. Grayson Allen, eleven points and three steals. Pat Connaughton, eight points and five rebounds. Javon Carter, seven points, seven points. Yet he finished plus twenty-five. Highest on the team in plus minus was Javon Carter. That is, that's crazy to me. That is I c- awesome. I couldn't believe he had a plus twenty five. That means that he was playing defense and causing, he was helping cause a lot of turnovers. And he was locking down. So yeah. Javon Carter, I mean his his defensive efforts while George Hill is out. I mean it's all you could ask for from him. Yeah. Then he, he adds in a three every once in a while, and you're like, exactly. okay, this guy anything, belongs. Wesley Matthews, Javon Carter, anything you get on offense is just bonus. Yeah, 100%. So looking at fundamental failures this game, and this is what I'll use to transition to game three, or to game two, I mean. Six missed free throws, 14 second chance points. That was one of my keys for game two was to cut down the offensive rebounds. Um, and six points off turnovers, so 26 fundamental failures. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible. It's not great. Um, flipping over to game two, eight missed free throws, nine second chance points, which is better, mm. and twenty-four points off of turnovers in game two. Yeah, That's forty-one fundamental failure points. We were really, really sloppy last night, and it, it was, wasn't. It wasn't just at at one point. They were sloppy at a lot of lot of points during this game. And the first half was was worse. Scott, I don't know if I agree with him about being better than Georgia. 
Um, George Hill, towards the end of the regular season, was playing some pretty solid defense. Um, Javon Carter is – he's an animal defensively. Um, I will say I think George Hill is probably the better three-point shooter, just the better shooter in general. And as far as playing point guard, I do think George Hill is a better offense runner than Javon Carter. And George Hill is a long athlete, man. He's, yeah, he's, he's long. like 6'3". And he fits into the Bucks kind of, you know, structure of their team. We got a lot mm-hmm. of long athletes. We're very big. So George Hill really fits that. And he can finish on the break. Ja- Javon Carter, I don't really see him finish on the he's, break. Yeah, he's going out to the perimeter. Yeah. Hill can cut to the rim and finish. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so Boston got up to a hot start. Started mm-hmm. six for six or five for six on threes. Um, Milwaukee got up to a slow start. Giannis started one for ten. The Bucks, as a team, started five for seventeen. Um, Boston had a near perfect first quarter. They were up eleven. The Bucks did start five for seventeen, but did finish seven for nine. Um, Scott, I don't know about Carter being way better on defense. He might be a little better on defense. George Hill is still a solid defender, and like I said, he was playing pretty good defense towards the end of the year. Um, I can understand if you like Carter better, because I probably like Carter better too, but I just think George Hill overall as a player is better. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, it's hard to come back from a, a big lead when you're turning the ball over a lot. It's true. It sucks. Hey. Um, <laughs> Jalen Brown making basically everything he shot, and it's like, is this how the Bulls felt when – Grayson Allen was going crazy in games three and four. Probably. <laughs> um, Probably. I just wanted to see the Bucks be more aggressive getting to the paint. Um, Jalen Brown started nine for ten in the first half, five for five on threes. He had 25 of his 30 in the first half. Um, Bucks going. turned the ball over seven times in the second quarter. Only had 40 points at halftime. Boston was 13 of 20 on threes at halftime, and the Bucks were two for eight. Yep. That's, that's basically what I had from the first half. I don't know if you want to say anything about the first half. Oh, God. First half, yeah. Uh, well, I was at work for the first quarter, so I was kind of just paying attention on my phone. And uh, when I checked, when the first quarter was over, I was like, why does Jalen Brown have almost as many points as the Milwaukee Bucks team? I was like, yep, we're in, we're in deep shit. But I didn't give up hope. I was like, we got Giannis. You know, we still got shooters. Uh-huh. Um and when I got home and I started watching the game, it just it looked like we could never gain rhythm. And I'm not blaming the refs. I'm just making a point. Every time it looked like the Bucks were going to go on a run, right? This was kind of a hump game, like get over the hump, right? Uh, what up, man? Yeah, Giannis was trying to do too much. I agree with that, Brad. Yeah. And, and part of that is because, you know, the shooters weren't really shooting. So I feel like Giannis put a little bit more additional pressure on himself. Mm-hmm. But it felt like every time the Bucks were about to go on a run, it felt like there was a foul call on the other end. There was there was one possession where they got like two rebounds, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then somebody was driving on Brooke baseline and Brooke bumped him. It might have been Derek, Derek White, White, actually. And Brooke kind of bumped him a little bit. Like, dude, okay, that's following regular season. This is the fucking playoffs, dude. Like, mm-hmm. we're trying to make a fucking run here. So l- let's play a little bit. Um, well, The, the fact know, that they let all the hand fighting go – on a ball handler at the top of the three-point line, but they don't let it go when a guy is dribbling down the baseline? I just don't understand. Yeah, I guess that's what I don't understand. I don't understand where 
where that becomes a foul and where that's not a foul. You know what I mean? I, mean, it's basically, I need that written out. Like, tell me where it, that's a foul. Either you're gonna you're gonna call it or you're gonna let them play, and you got to do one or the other. You just got to be consistent with it. Right. This it's is both same, ways. Like, I'm not with, complaining for the Bucks. Exactly. It's the same with it's the same with baseball. Like, if you're gonna have a tight strike zone, call it a consistently tight strike zone. Yeah, I agree. Have a I agree. Strike zone, call it consistent. Just that's all. That's all I really want is consistency. Yeah. See, that's all I want too, and that's where I don't understand. Like, he barely bumped him. And White goes like, oh, 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 like a douche. Mm. And, you know, then it's a foul call. It's like, come on, man. Like, that wasn't a foul. And it felt like, it really felt like the Bucks were about to open up a can of whoop-ass. You know, if they mm. if they got another stop or two and scored, things were about to get real, real interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, we talked about it already. Boston was just on fire last night. That's all it was. It's a make-or-miss league, right? Why won't Bud take T as in a timeout or a technical? Celtics won't hit 93s again. Yeah. Well, well after uh, Tyler I wrote breaks, down what I wanted to write down, so I got that. After Tyler um, breaks down the second half, I got some. A tech? I don't know. That's interesting. Why won't he take a tech? Are you trying to make him take a tech on, like, the bad, inconsistent refs? Defend a three minute two. I mean, last night, if he was going to take a tech, and you know, at, last night was the night, you know, as we're getting yeah. getting our asses punked by 15, 16, 17, 20 points, we get it down to 11, and they push it back up to 20. Last I mean, night would have been the perfect night for that. They were, they were, they were closing the game a little bit towards the end, and then once, once the league got back out of control, it was, you know, kind of just whatever at that point. Um, because mm-hmm. the Bucks did cut the lead to 12 points at 429. So there's no point in Budenholzer taking a technical foul there and letting them push the lead back up to 13. Um, obviously, the lead get pushed back up anyways. But looking in the second half, the Bucks did win the second half by two points. Um, Giannis was aggressive early. He's got to make his free throws. That's what killed Phoenix last year, Giannis making free throws. Yeah. So Giannis had 18 points in the third quarter. Couldn't get a lot of fouls drawn. Jalen Brown did not score in the third quarter. Um and like I said, it's hard to come back when you're turning the ball over and when you're just trading baskets. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, Scott, we're, we're going to talk about adjustments because I personally believe that Budenholzer isn't the best at in-game adjustments, but I believe that he's very, very good at game-to-game adjustments. Um, I agree. That showed during the finals, actually. So, um, So three main things that you need to do when you're trying to mount a comeback – you need to get stops. Mm-hmm. You need to not turn the ball over, and you need to make mm-hmm. free throws. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks were struggling to do all three of those things in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and like I said, the Bucks cut the lead at twelve points at four minutes twenty nine seconds, and then got pushed back up, back to back turnovers, back to back threes for Boston. Um, it's, it's not necessarily that they need another shooter, Scott. It's that they need to have the shooters shoot. Yeah. Like Brad said before, Giannis is trying to do too much, and that when Giannis is doing that, it does take the ball out of other guys' hands. Giannis in game one was facilitating. He was passing the ball, spreading the ball all over, and it worked really well. Guys like Pat Connaughton were hitting threes. Bobby Portis is hitting threes. Javon Carter made a couple threes. If you can do that, you get your shooters open looks. It's, it's not necessarily needing to add another shooter. It's just needing to add shots to your shooters. Um thing i need to talk about and we need to discuss is how 
the hell there is not a single thing called on Grant Williams for pinning and then twisting Pat Connaughton's arm. I I how, have no idea. I have no idea. How in the actual fuck is there nothing called on that? And you can clearly see his elbow like go inward. And his shoulder like twist. Like what the hell? How do you watch that like four times and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's clean. That was after the whistle too. Like Pat Connaughton reached on that play. He did. Pat Connaughton mm-hmm. reached. That's a foul. Fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fact that after the whistle, he pins his arm and then goes like this and twists his body? Like, how yeah. is that not an excessive, hostile, unnecessary act? Seriously, that's fucking ridiculous, man. That was that was where I was done with the game. That was, or done with the officials at least, because that was some bullshit. Yeah. Isaac, I said that, by the way, right before we started talking about game one. They already did their job, so everybody freaking out about losing yesterday, like... Listen, man, it's one loss. They're not beating us three more times. Yeah, Scott, I agree. That that does need a league, league review. review. That's a that's a player safety issue because that's I'm mean, that's just so unnecessary, especially for it to happen after the whistle. Well, what if it would have came out today that he had the same injury that Gary Payton the second had, where he had a he had like a fractured elbow or a hyperextended ligament or something, and he wasn't able to play game three. Then is it going to be an issue? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's ridiculous. Basically, the way that I said to look at it was um, you're in a five-game series now, and three of them are in Milwaukee. Yep, 100%. Um, and if game one and two had been flipped and the Bucks got blown out in game one and then came back and won a gritty game two, nobody would be freaking out. Nobody. There's there's such a, a high low roller coaster with wins and losses among fan bases that Jake and I we don't have that. No. We would encourage you not to be that way either. The Bucks didn't lose the series last night. No, they just lost, they lost one, one game. game. They have to beat us three more times if they want to win the series. Hey, you know what? You want you want to hear a secret? We lost game two to the Bulls. What happened after that? I'm not saying the Celtics are the Bulls, but I'm just saying the Bucks are fully capable of winning three straight games versus the Celtics. I feel much more comfortable saying that than the Celtics beating the Bucks three straight times. Yeah, four straight times either. Yeah, four straight times, you know. So, Time to call TJ Ford. Let's go, baby. <laughs> maybe he can be like a, a development coach like Ricky Weeks is for the Brewers now. That would be sick. Dude, I'll never forget TJ Ford's photo, bro. He's 5'11", and his shorts are 5'10". His Those shorts fuckers, are, like, touching the floor. <laughs> Those fuckers are huge, bro. <laughs> they belong on Shaquille O'Neal, and TJ Ford's wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what they were doing. They're probably like, hey, TJ, go put on Dan Gadzarich's shorts. Bro, but his jersey's huge, too. That's the problem. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> We thought they were drafting Nick Collison. He's 6'11". Sorry, DJ. <laughs> she already stitched the jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Giannis started 1 for 10. 10 for 17 after that. Um, finished with 28 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Did have 6 turnovers. Offensive fouls count as part of that. So, that's one of the adjustments he's going to have to make. Um, mm-hmm. When we talk about Game 3, we're going to talk about some of those adjustments. Now, back Connaughton. 13 points, 6 of 7. So what I mentioned in game one that I wanted to talk about Pat Connaughton is if you're going to run a small ball lineup like Javon Carter, Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, and Giannis, 
if you're going to have a guy like Al Horford out there trying to guard Pat Connaughton, who's the power forward in that situation, mm-hmm. Pat Connaughton was getting really, really well to the rim and finishing using the other the rim as protection for his his layups, and he was getting to the rim effectively, like really well. <sighs> Obviously, he finished six to seven. Um, Brad, I agree. There's no way that Grant Williams keeps shooting like he does. So, um, Boston was 23 of 40 on threes last night. That was 47%. Um, their season percentage is 35.8. So yeah. I would I would continue basically doing what you do for the Bucks. Just try to contest the shots a little more. Boston's not going to have another game like they did last night. And like we said, if they do that four times, like you tip your cap. One hundred percent. I will tell you this. I'm going to take the words right out of your mouth. And we were texting yesterday. Boston basically played a perfect game yesterday, and they won by what thirteen points. The Bucks were horrible on offense. If the Bucks, you know, and I, and I said it about Giannis. If Giannis is making you know, all those finger rolls that he's missing, and we're so used to him making those. Mm-hmm. If he makes even half of those, this is a game. You cut down on turnovers, Giannis finishes at the rim, it's a game. It's oh, yeah. it's a game. And then we're on our, our court. Yeah, I'm good. Yep. I'm great, actually. Um, Drew Holiday. Drew I'm Holiday's probably not going to shoot 7 for 20 again. Yeah, she want, somebody wants to listen to your next argument real quick. Okay, <laughs> keep going. Oh, Say like hello. It, like it. Say hello. hello. Say hello. I feel a little better today. <laughs> say hello. Say hello. <laughs> What's up, cheeks? <laughs> cheeks, yeah. <laughs> say hello. All right. So Drew Holiday, seven for twenty. Oh, she's happy to be here. Um, <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> Drew Holiday's probably not going to shoot seven for twenty again and one for six behind the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Um, he did finish four rebounds, seven assists, two steals. Bobby Portis, 13 points and eight rebounds. He was five for seven shooting. Um, Grace Allen and Javon Carter, kind of a quiet night. So it's, like we said, like Scott said, we need to add shooters. We really just need to add shots to the shooters we have. Oh, my God. See, this is what this is. I was waiting for a keyword. I was waiting for the keyword. There it is. Look at the ball movement, right? We You were talking. You've hit on it a couple times. Yep. And I, for me personally, I went back to game two last year in the second round. We play in the Nets. And, you know, people were blaming Chris Middleton. So people need to start putting some respect on him. This is, you know, our monthly put some respect on Chris Middleton. Because yeah. apparently we have to do that every month. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> Ridiculous, first of all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they thought that he was the reason that we were doing so much iso ball. And, and it was like, dude, it, it's not Chris Middleton. It's not one player. He's not even the best player on our team. Why would he be able, be able to, you know control all that uh-huh. yesterday they they looked exactly the same in my opinion in a lot of ways sloppy yeah. dribbling turning the ball over one-on-one like oh, i'm gonna go one on five like dude no that's not how you win playoff basketball games on the road uh-huh. not even i mean at home you don't do that but definitely like, not on the road you know against it's, a good defensive team so then when you couple all that stuff in right you go to the three-point attempts boston made more threes than we attempted that is not how the bucks operate they had zero rhythm yesterday. They played bad yesterday. They played almost as bad as you could play, in my opinion, with how loaded our roster is. Scoring 86 points with all the people that can score on our team, they played almost as bad as they could. We only lost by 13. I think it was, was it 23. Oh, 23, yeah. 23. Still, 
that's not the point. The point is they played as bad as they could, and the Celtics played a perfect game, and we got the we got the game within within shouting distance a couple was, times. You know what I'm saying? The lead was down to twelve at four twenty nine. That's striking distance. When they when they got it down to you know twelve fourteen, I was like, man, they just need one fucking run, dude. I know. It's like they get this game to single digits, like Boston's gonna be, they're gonna be sweating, shaking uh, their man, boots a little. Man, I was like, just get just get it to six, just get it to six, and then we'll go from there. Give yourselves a couple minutes to, to make I a mistake. I just wanted to get it down to nine. Even even when the Bucks were like back on the brink of you know like it looks like the Bucks are gonna lose this game. I'm like, if they can just find a way to lose this game by double, like single digits. If they can find a way to, to lose this game by 10 or less, yeah. and, say, and you can say, like, hey, like Boston did this, 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 and this, this, and this perfectly and made all these contested jump shots, and this guy was six for nine on threes, and they only won by nine? That's, yeah. that's what I was hoping for when they kept making their runs, but then they kept turning the fucking ball over. Isaac's always getting ahead of us. All right, what's Isaac saying here? Drew and Giannis pick and roll for, the, for this next game. Drew and Giannis pick and roll for this next game. Well, we're going to talk about game three right now. So that is one of my keys, and this is something that worked in the second half, except it wasn't mm-hmm. Drew and Giannis running it. It was Grayson Allen and Giannis running the pick and roll a lot. So I think you mm-hmm. can do that. You can use Giannis as the screener, and it worked really effectively in the second half. Yep. It, it forces mismatches. It forces guys to try to react quickly to Giannis, who is a very quick reacting player. Um. Mm-hmm. So I do think they might have something there. But, yes, Scott, relax. Like I said, the Bucs didn't lose the series last night. They they split the two games on the road. Do you remember uh, – this was like maybe two years ago. Do you remember when we had Dante and we used to run pick and rolls with Dante as the ball handler? Mm-hmm. And Dante really, really started to flourish in that role, I thought. You know, everyone so he didn't have the best handle. I think Grayson has a much better handle, and Grayson yep. can shoot the ball if he needs to. And Grayson can finish around the rim better than Dante, in my opinion. Yeah, well. da- I mean Grayson's all around better than Dante. Dante would just be really tenacious on defense every once in a while yep. and force some crazy havoc. And he's but, a little more athletic. Yeah, but my point being is Grayson Allen pick and roll. That could be something that could work really, really well. You know, mm-hmm. you would leave, and Drew Holiday can be a spot up shooter now. He doesn't always have yep. to handle the ball. But I love the pick and roll with Grayson Allen and Giannis. That is a beautiful thing. Yep. All right. So the other thing I wanted to say is with, with Budenholzer, every series that the Bucks have played has been early in the series have been the feel-out games. So mm-hmm. you go back and you look at last year's playoffs. Game one, they only won because Middleton hit a game winner in overtime. You look at the Brooklyn, they lost the first two games on the road in that series. Yep. You go to Atlanta, they lost one of two of the first two in that series. And you go to yep. the finals, they, they were down 0-2 after the first two games in that series. Those yep. early games with Budenholzer at the at the helm of the Bucks have been the feel-out games. Then you go to game threes. The Bucks have played 10 playoff series with Mike Budenholzer as their head coach. In game threes, the Bucks are 8-2. That's a good stat, bud. I like that. I like that. And I got another one for you. Yeah. Game threes, the Bucks on average outscore their opponents 112.8 to 100.9. There you go. I I mean, I think the Bucks are going to win the next game, and then everybody will fucking relax. But well, and then we everybody's going to say Bucks in five. Good yeah, then, well, we just have to get to, you know, I got to talk about that, man. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm kind of annoyed sometimes being a fan of the same team of other people because it's like yeah. you talk so fucking stupid that when I have a conversation with somebody, now they think I'm stupid. <laughs> Stop making me look dumb because I wear the same colors as you. Bastards. Come listen to us first and then talk, okay? <laughs> I'm and, cool and with that. Just take, it, take everything in stride, I guess is what we're trying to say. Take mm-hmm. things in stride. Take it one game at a time. I guarantee you that's what the Bucks are doing. Yeah. I guarantee you the Bucks aren't hanging their heads today. No, I mean, dude, they got their champs, dude. They've been through they went they grinded just last year, dude. They know mm-hmm. what to do. They're fine. We're going back home, so they're comfortable, man. They get to sleep in their own beds now. And it's one game. Yeah. It's a seven game series. Jake and I, I think Jake picked this to go be a six game series. I picked the Bucks in six. I did. I said Bucks in six. So Jake and I are figuring for the Celtics to probably win at least one more game yet, too. Point is, the series is not over after one loss, especially no. in Boston. So for real, dude. All right, other things. So I kind of if, if they win in five, I'm gonna go back to the comments that were made today and yesterday, and I'm just gonna troll the hell out of my other fan Bucks fans, dude. You do it to Boston fans too, because all the apparently there's tons of Boston fans that are like, "Oh, the game one was just a fluke, whatever, whatever." The Celtics aren't the Bulls, okay? The Bucks aren't the Nets, but whatever. Uh, touched on this a little bit already, so keep contesting jump shots. Mm-hmm. Just contest them. Wesley Matthews was doing a really, really good job of contesting jump shots last night. Jason Tatum was just making everything. There's nothing you can do about that. I've said this a whole bunch of times. Good offense beats good defense every time. It applies in football. It applies in basketball. Applies in baseball, too. The guy with the bat really is in control, if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, if you hit the ball over the fence, there's no defense for that. (laughs) Facts. Or if you hit them them where they ain't. That's literally a baseball saying. (laughs) That's that's valid. All right. The next thing. Keep Boston off the offensive rebounds. They did a better job in game two. Game one, they gave up 14 second chance points. Game two, they gave up nine second chance points. But it just seemed that they came at the worst possible times in game two. Mm -hmm. Keep Boston off the offensive rebound. Don't let them extend possessions. Don't let them get second looks because that's where they got a lot of their open three-pointers last night. Was off a second chance. Well, it, it depends on the way you look at it. If you look at it as good offense as in fundamentally sound offense or just making tough shots because i mean that's that's what jason tatum was doing i mean you can't I mean, offend him any any better without following durant is looked at as the best offensive player in the league right basically because he could just make shots in tough situations all right offense we already touched on Giannis as the screener with grayson allen and drew holiday as the ball handlers you could maybe throw wesley matthews in there because he's actually been doing a decent job of getting to the rim in the playoffs this year He's not he's not going to the hoop and scoring on people and and dunking on people and stuff, but he's getting penetration is is the thing with Wesley Matthews. He's not just camping on the three point line and, and shooting contested threes. He's pump faking and he's taking two dribbles into the middle of the lane and getting other guys open looks. Bro, we always hit a three when he does that. I shit you not. <laughs> we always hit a three because he pump fakes, he takes that one or two dribbles, he breaks the defense down again and the ball yep. movement restarts. And That's I, how you know when we're in a rhythm. It's like always Drew, Bobby, Grayson, and Javon Carter out on the three-point line. And they're always <laughs> they're always ready with their hands ready to shoot. So just keep the ball moving. Um, I want to see less 
dribble handoff. Yeah, we turn the ball over, dummies. That's exactly uh, it. The dribble handoff, there's there's no flow to it. There's really no point in doing it just to change the possession of the ball handler is really the only thing it does. It doesn't open anything up for you on defense. It's a really easy thing to defend because mm-hmm. it's not like a screen. You know, It's not a pick and roll. It's not a pick and pop or anything like that. It's You're just handing the ball off and everybody can just kind of sidestep and go with their guy. Right. Um, Less dribble handoff. I want to see more off-ball screening. I'd like nice. to see this. I'd like to see this with Pat, Brooke Lopez, Grayson Allen. If they can, if if there's three guys on an action over here, say Giannis is posting up and the other guys are running their dumb dribble handoff, and over here you got Grayson Allen and say Pat Connaughton, have those two screen for each other. Have Grayson go set a screen for Pat. Have him come from the corner towards the top. Mm-hmm. Watch where those two defenders go. Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton are really good at cutting the basket. You say Pat Connaughton goes to set a screen for Grayson Allen, and he comes off hard as hell looking for a three-point shot, and two guys all with him, Pat Connaughton's cutting to the hoop for a dunk. He's not laying yeah. it in either. He's throwing we it down. We haven't seen Pat Connaughton cut back door in a long time, man. Now so I'm if, thinking if, about if it If you can get some, some off-ball movement, you know, some uh-huh. off-ball screens going, just getting some action going, making, making Boston move on defense when they're not guarding the ball. I agree. I think would be beneficial to the offense. Um, and it would discourage so much isolation. Mm-hmm. Next thing I got to say, shoot with confidence. It's, it's a really easy thing to say, a really easy thing to say to do. Shoot with confidence. Javon Carter was shooting with confidence like this whole playoffs until last night. And then it seemed like he just wanted to pump fake, dribble, and pass. It got him into three turnovers last night. Yeah, he had that one really, really bad one when we were kind of making a little run. Yeah. It's uh, like, dude, just just trust what you've been doing. Trust yourself offensively. Like, Javon Carter's been hitting some threes. He's, I mean, like, I trust Javon Carter to, to trust his instincts. So, and, and Missing Grace a shot is literally better than turning the ball over. A live ball right. turnover is the worst thing to do in, in basketball. Yeah. So, Grayson Allen, too. Shoot confidence, dude! You just lit up Chicago for three straight games. Just shoot like that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and Wesley Matthews too. Shoot with confidence. All three of them. Pat Connaughton, keep doing what you're doing. Shoot with confidence. Um. We need more offensively from Brook Lopez. I don't think they feature him enough, man. I don't. I don't know that he's really hunting anything either. He's not even shooting. He's not even shooting his once in a while three pointers that he normally takes. Yeah, he didn't even attempt a three last night. He shot two shots. Yeah, and he made That's, one. Yeah, he's four two for points. nine and zero for two on threes in the first two games so far. Mm. Um, and I mentioned this with uh, game one, game two a little bit. Don't leave your feet to pass. It is a it's a turnover like fifty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants fifty percent of their passes to be turnovers. Don't no, leave your feet pass. That's Jameis Winston territory. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what you get. Yeah, James. <laughs> um, Giannis did it. He was driving baseline and he left his feet. He had nowhere to go. He just threw the ball into the middle of the court, and it was intercepted and taken. Boston got a transition opportunity out of it. 
Mm-hmm. Javon Carter did it a couple times. Don't leave your feet to pass. Just don't do it. I agree. Um, coming out of the gates, Saturday, there's a long break in between now and game three, which is kind of unfortunate. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth for a few days, but early in the game, this is a tone-setting thing. Instantly, right away, get into Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Throw their games off. Get inside their jerseys, irritate him. Jason Tatum didn't like it last night when Wesley Matthews was getting up on him last night. No, nah, he was he was crying. He was like whining a lot. Um, so Wesley Matthews, Javon Carter, I mean Bobby Portis can be an instigator like that. Instigate him a little bit. Those two are young guys, and like I said, Jason Tatum he seems like a flusterable guy because he even last night when they're up by twenty he's still complaining to the refs. I know, which was annoying, yeah. but. Um, and then Pat Connaughton, keep doing what you're doing. His last three games, he's 16 for 24 and nine of 15 on threes. He's back now. He's back. Yeah. So I'm going to answer Isaac's question before I give my couple little points here. Do I think this is Darvin Ham's last year with you guys? Okay. So let's break this down, right? Look at the Western conference. Warriors are not going anywhere. The Grizzlies are here and young. Utah Jazz, eh. The Mavericks, they're still here as long as Luka Doncic, you know, signs up with them, right? So then you go to the Pelicans. You know, we're, we're going through playoff teams. Pelicans, if they can get Zion back, whoa. They could actually be scary. The Suns, the Suns are not going anywhere as long as CP3 mm-hmm. and Booker are there. They're only yep. just going to keep improving and getting better. I know, I know that CP3 is getting old. So just from those six teams... You're thinking, oh, do the Lakers have a chance? Well, they're not moving Russ because he cost a billion dollars and he's wearing a dress. So that's not a good look in two ways. (laughs) LeBron (laughs) is a billion. And Anthony Davis plays 40 games. If I was a guy going into my first head coaching job, and Isaac, I mean this with no disrespect, ain't no goddamn way I'm doing it with the freaking Lakers, dude. Seriously. They have no future. They have I, no think picks, I, would rather, I think I would rather go coach the Wizards, honestly. Oh, my or God. The, the Hornets. I would much rather coach the Hornets. Though. If you're going into a co- your first year coaching, I want an opportunity where I have a chance to build. You know, I have some cap room or I have some draft capital or something that There's I can make my prospect. imprint on this roster. Yeah, something, man. Like, there's nothing with the Lakers. The Lakers are what they are. It's the same thing with the Nets. The Nets are what they are. They got no money to go anywhere else. So whatever they do this offseason, that is just what they are. And those are the two favorites to win the title this year, by the way. So that is freaking hilarious to me. Yeah, I, there, there's no, 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 no I, I understand. Of, of throwing digs at, at L.A. and New York. I think if Darvin Ham leaves, it might, I mean, thinking off the top of my head, the Hornets would not be a bad spot. you got a young budding star in mm-hmm. ball. I mean, that's something you can build on. Yeah, they run, yeah, they run. You know, and Stephen A. Smith this morning was talking about the Lakers trading LeBron. I was like, what? I mean, they know wherever Bronny goes that he's not sticking around unless Bronny ends up on the Lakers. You don't trade LeBron. I don't care if you hate the guy. You don't trade LeBron. That's just not how life works. You don't trade LeBron. Plain and simple. Not. I mean, he played really well last year. So he said trade LeBron. I said that's it. This guy's getting paid ten million dollars to talk about sports, and he said trade LeBron. I'm done. Hey, that's not even the <sighs> weirdest thing that I heard on a sports television show this week. 
What was it? What was it? Dan Orlovsky said the Packers should trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> He's on the books for $18 million this year. The <sighs> Packers have like $2 million in cap space. But, yeah, they're going to go ahead and make that trade. I just don't understand how Dan Orlovsky. I said this in our group chat like, like a week ago. That for every ten things that Dan Orlovsky says, one of them is smart. Dude, the man that ran out of the back nine. of the end zone. The man ran out of the back of the end zone. He ran out of the back of the end zone, bro. I'm going to say it three times. He has no awareness at all. So who the hell allowed him on TV in a suit? That's ridiculous, bro. Seriously. He said trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, like the Cardinals are just going to freaking give him up. Well, I don't care if he is that, missing six what, this games. This was his rationale. He's like, well, the Cardinals just traded for Hollywood Brown, and DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss the first six games of the year, and the Packers need a wide receiver one. So, you know, if I'm if I'm Green Bay, I'm going up Arizona to see what it would take to get DeAndre Hopkins. Um, <laughs> everything. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's jinx. just... Has better chance being traded to undisputed to Brown off the Lakers. Man, oh, my dad's bringing up. Ke- you know what? We're going to make like a bonus episode and we're just going to rip the worst analyst because Kendrick Perkins <laughs> is pretty bad too, bro. I am in. I am in. That is a good bonus episode idea. Okay. I'm telling you right now, spoiler alert, both of our number ones is Skip Bayless. I'll write it down right Easily. here real quick too. Easily Skip Bayless is number one. Okay, this oh, extra notebook here. Anywhere here. What the hell? Right. What am I doing in my life? I have 84 notebooks going and no post-it notes. <laughs> extra app. Rip. Bad. Commentators. All right. Almost. There right. we go. Orlovsky. Yeah, Orlovsky's terrible. You know, there are some there are a few that I actually do respect. Like basketball wise, love JJ Reddick, dude. His breakdown of basketball is amazing. When Skip I said RG three is going to be better. Bro, I remember that shit. <laughs> I remember that shit. And I actually like RG three post football. He seems like a I really, do. really good smart. dude. I wanna actually read his book. Yeah, he and he knows his stuff, man, because he was he was on today talking about the Packers and I was talking to Tyler about it, and he knows his stuff, man. RG three's a smart guy. I don't have nothing against him. I gotta say, I think my favorite sports. Um, I don't care about bank account. You sound like a moron in front his, of millions his, of people. Um, his main, the mainstream sports, as far as they're concerned, I think the one that I like the most is Nick Wright. <sighs> Nick Wright gets a little crazy sometimes. I remember when uh, when Braun was in the middle of his heyday, kind of towards the end, you know, still with Cleveland. He was going a little crazy. I'm not gonna lie. You know I like LeBron, but I was like, "Whoa, dog, you gotta chill. <laughs> you gotta chill, dude." I mean, I'll tell you this though: if the Bucks win the next three and they win the first two rounds of five, Nick Wright said that we're gonna we're gonna gentlemen sweep the entire playoffs this year. Hmm. He said we would lose one game in every round. So if he if we do that, I'm gonna have to change my tone on Nick Wright, dude. <laughs> yeah, think, he loves I think LeBron. For the most part that he's. He's pretty even keel. Like, Stephen A is, is freaking ridiculous. He was literally picking Miami because he wants to be in Miami during the Eastern Conference Finals. So stupid. Like, dude, why don't you just retire and move to Miami if you freaking hate sports teams' cities that much? 
Seriously, if dude. It's that consequential to you that you take the city that they play in into account? Like, just retire and go live where you want to live instead of complaining about where games are taking place. Seriously. Yeah, bro. JJ has been calling out Stephen A, and I love that. He's just like, whoa, Stephen A, what'd you say? Like, I just played in the league, bro. I know how this shit works. That's, that's, that's why I think it works well with JJ Reddick is that he's fresh out of the league. Who's that That mad dog guy that goes on there on Wednesdays? You ever watch him? Oh, my God. It just reminds me of every time I get into an argument with somebody like, 90s basketball. Because, oh, my God. Every time he talks, he's like, oh, this team in the 70s. Bro, we're talking about 2022. Stay on topic, mm-hmm. okay? And you're screaming louder than Stephen A, which is, is bad. That's that's my least favorite thing about dealing with sports arguments is like I can have a respectful discussion with a fan of any team. Like it happened to me last night. I had a respectful discussion with a Lions fan. He gave some credit to the Packers. I gave some credit to the Lions. And it was an yeah. enjoyable discussion. Fucking Chicago fans. I can't do this shit anymore. Like I can't have a single discussion with a Chicago fan because all they want to do is win the argument by talking louder. Or talking more. Dude, every time I get in an argument with a oh with a Chicago God. fan, it's like they'll send like Y'all hit on how biased Doris Perks is. Oh man. Well the thing about ESPN announcers during the game is oh my god, I was getting pissed game one, dude. Because Dan Gundy was worse. Here's the thing. At halftime, instead of talking about how good the Bucks defense was, right? Because they had only had forty six points the Celtics did at halftime. All they talked about was, oh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were just missing shots. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Seriously. That is so annoying. Like, come on. And that's what it is. It's like Brian Anderson does a really good job of being impartial. And Stan Van Gundy is, like, loving Boston. He talked about Boston for, like, four straight minutes the other day. And then yesterday when Grant Williams did the arm twist thing, he's like, I don't see anything there. I don't see anything there. And then, like, on the sixth replay, he's like, oh, there might have been something there. It's like, you didn't see it the first four fucking times you watched that? <laughs> it's like, buddy, that is why you're not coaching. Because clearly you didn't see it the first like, six times. Put cheeks blocking your eyes. Like, lay off the donuts or something. Like, goddamn. <laughs> yeah, Stephen A does scream. Oh, my God. We're just doing this bonus episode in the middle of our episode. I love it. <laughs> we'll, we'll come with more evidence when we do this. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, he got hit on the elbow and the yeah. wrist, and then he got blocked. She's like, that's perfect defense. He's in a perfect position to, what, foul him? I was like, that was, was like, a lot of hand. <laughs> he got hit in the elbow, too, on the way up. He got hit in the elbow and then the wrist, dude. <sighs> and then uh, the people that are like, hand is part of the ball. Oh, clearly not, because I can bounce it. My hand stays attached to my body, you freaking douche. Or the, um, it happened to Bobby Portis last night, Al Horford went to contest oh, Bobby yeah. Portis shooting a three, and Al Horford hit Bobby Portis's hand. Nothing. Horford is about to get an earful in Milwaukee. I hope Giannis dunks on him again. Right? That'd be awesome. All right, do you want to say, what do you want to say about what the Bucks can do for game three? All right, I kept mine plain and simple, Jake style. Here we go. First one, move the ball. Stop with that ISO garbage. It's not fun to watch, first of all. the play. If I'm not having fun watching it, I can almost guarantee that you're not having fun doing it. So let's everybody move the ball, shoot the ball, let's move this thing. You cannot, and I said this before, you cannot allow a team to make more threes than you shoot. That is a recipe for disaster. We clearly saw what happened last night. My next one, play under control. 
every once in a while, I feel like when we're driving, trying to find open shooters, we get a little reckless. This is mainly mm-hmm. on Giannis. He gets a lot of fouls on offensive end of the court, which is ridiculous because it holds him back on the other end of the court where he can mm-hmm. make such a great impact. So I'm saying play under control, play with composure, we'll be okay. My last one, and this might be my most important point, rebound the basketball. I'm talking offense and I'm talking defense. When you get a stop on defense, it does not count in my brain until you grab the damn rebound. And we have plenty of dudes that can grab rebounds. Plenty. All all five guys can go over there, and I feel like like Pat Conton grabs some man rebounds once in a while. He out rebounded Tristan Thompson like seven times. Bro, in the house of the Giants, bro, he's in there and just give me that. Grayson Allen grabs some good rebounds once in a while. I mean, he's a guy that's fearless too. That's why I think I love Grayson because he goes in there and he's just like, whatever, man, I'm going to go grab the rebound. The thing that rebounding does for me, I'm not saying it does it for everybody else, it shows me that you're playing with an edge, and it shows me that you're playing with physicality. Boston is a physical team. They yeah, are not the better be team. Series. It is going to be a very physical series. That's one thing that I will give credit to Boston. They play physical, and they play tough, right? Yep. So if you match their physicality, and we are the better team overall, in my opinion, yep. I mean, you're going to win games. Just go rebound. Go get the damn ball, okay? Plain and simple. That is, I have four keys. They're simple. That's how you win games. Obviously, shooting threes. You can't guarantee you're going to shoot threes. Over. Yeah, not turn the ball over. That's that's kind of where my play under control is too. You know, you can't just be making passes to pass the ball. You got to be under control, calculated. Now, that's that's how I feel about the dribble handoff. Like I feel like yeah. you're just making passes just to pass the ball. Um, he probably could agree. go rebound, Isaac. <laughs> I, I do agree that the crowd better be loud. I'm looking forward to that because it does seem like it fueled Boston in games one and two. Game one, the Bucks weathered that. But game two, every time the Bucks kind of went on a run, and then Boston kind of broke the run. Their crowd is just nuts. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what the crowd in Milwaukee is like on Saturday. Let's uh, let's fill that mother effer up, man. Let's go crazy. Let's let's be let's loud, man. Let's yeah, let's do this thing. If and like I said, Bucks. I really firmly believe that they're gonna win on Saturday. Monday game will be a little bit. That'll be a really close game. I think the Bucks are gonna be a really close game on Monday. But if we win the next two games in our house, protect home court. We got nothing to worry about. And I just want to say before we switch to the Brewers, is it it's time to move on from Grayson Allen's plays at Duke. Come on, man. Seriously. It, that was seven years ago. Like it's seriously it's it's time to move on. Imagine if I held on the stuff from my life that happened seven years ago. I'd be a very sad person. That's I mean it's <laughs> it it sucked and I hated it at the time. I absolutely hated it at the time. Because it happened against Wisconsin, but it's it's time to move on. It's seven years ago, like I said, and he's on our side now. So give Grayson Allen some support. I do agree. Marcus Smart is a. I, don't, I would say in the NBA, he's dirtier. Oh, um, I agree. I agree. He definitely thing, has that reputation. The thing that Boston does is they're very floppy. They're very floppy, Boston is. Grant Williams flopped so hard at one point last night that he hit his head on the floor, swinging back. Yeah. Um, I know, it sucks. It's, it sucks that they, the Badgers lost that one. And honestly, I'm more bothered by Justice Winslow stepping out of bounds than I am about Grayson Allen doing what he did. Hey, Grayson Allen was hooping that day. It, he was one of the main reasons that they won that game, but... 
Yeah, Justin Win- Justice Winslow when he stepped out of bounds, that was clear as day. I he still like, t- like this much of his heel out of bounds. I'm like, how do you not see a six seven muscly dude step out of bounds? His foot, he's wearing at least a size 15, bro. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, that sucked. Yeah, that's true. Hey, that, Scott, that, that's, that's a true. good point. It's, yeah, that's if a good Grayson point. Allen can help the Bucks win another title. That would that would go a long way to. I definitely think Badgers fans are not allowed to bring that up anymore. I'm going to use that forever, Scott. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. We, that's why we do the show live. We can get off some stuff from our audience. And I'm not going to say that it was from you next time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll give you credit. I came up with this great idea while I was in the middle of my sports show the other day. <laughs> All right. So we got two games with the Pirates to talk about for the Brewers. We have a series mm-hmm. with the Cubs. And then mm-hmm. last night's game, one of the series with the Reds. So let's go to the second game of the Pirates series. Um, coming into this game, the Brewers had won eight of their last ten games. I got to say, I liked hearing Tim Dillard question the ball because Major League Baseball has changed the ball again. And now home runs and batting average are down across the league. So all the complaining about the Brewers offense, like at least they're winning. It's affecting some teams way more than it's affecting the Brewers because the Brewers have elite pitching. So Mm. you look at a team like the Red Sox, who I think are five games under 500, which probably pains James to hear that. Because they're in a tough it. division. <laughs> he deserves it. But offense is down across the league. So I does there needs to be more research done on it. Um, and what it exactly has changed. But if you know if Major League Baseball wants to make all these rule changes for increasing offense, like why don't you put in a bouncier ball instead of the one that's lighter and it doesn't fly as far and guys are hitting balls hundred and five miles an hour off the bat that's just a deep fly out to right field. I will tell you, the ball's working for the Yankees, man. (laughs) I hate the Yankees, but those bastards are on fire right now, dude. All right, let's talk about the second game of this Pirates series. I had to bring it up. I'm sorry. I know that annoyed you, but they are playing well. All right, second game. We'll we'll probably trade him Yelich for a bag of baseballs because Yelich has a big contract. Baseball for players paid a few years ago time. Yeah. All right. The I'm second game here. Paid. Hey, if they put a salary floor in, everybody can get paid. You yeah, can have the wrong. A's rolling in with a $30 million payroll and then wondering why only 2,500 people show up every game. That is sad, bro. That is sad. Their stadium is literally empty every game. They're, it, what the fans of – what I've seen is that the fans are basically trying to boycott the owners for not putting a competitive team on the field. That's some weak shit, bro. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. If you're a fan, be a fan. That's how I feel. Don't get me started on the oh, payroll. Now he did. Now he, McQuaid, don't, there's like key words I, on this show, I man. I almost hate the Dodgers more than I hate the Cubs because of how bad. Don't lie to me. You hate the Dodgers more. Do not lie to me anymore. I hate the Cubs because they're a rival. I hate the Dodgers because their franchise is bullshit. I know you hate the Dodgers more. You could say it. Just say it. In the it's last- okay. In the last two or three years, I hate the Dodgers more. Overall, I still hate the Cubs more because they're Chicago. Okay, The that's fact fair. that the Dodgers had like a $285 million payroll last year and were able to trade for fucking Max Scherzer and Trey Turner? What the hell? <laughs> like the Bucks being in the middle of the luxury tax and then saying to the freaking Pelicans, like, oh, yeah, like, hey, can we have Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum? Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys can just have a, a payroll that's double 
other teams that are in the playoffs and triple other teams that aren't in the playoffs. The fact that there's three teams this year that are potentially looking at $300 million in payroll is ridiculous. Yeah. And it sucks. They need a they need a cap and a floor. But it'll never happen because the Players Association will never allow it. I agree. I agree. Um, well, if you're me, I hate all big market teams because all my teams are small market, like L.A., New York, Chicago, and those are, you know, not coincidentally, those are all always the loudest fans too because they just buy their teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people people are like, oh, I'm just going to go play with L.A. so I can live in L.A. Kind of like Stephen A. Smith. Oh, I want the Heat to be in the finals so I can go vacation in Miami. It's like, no, dude. All right. Let's get back on track here. Brewers Pirates. Uh, Ashby put out a good game, uh, five and a third. He had six Ks, but he also had five walks. That's not ideal. Yeah. Um, I started paying more attention to the walks walks for strikeouts this week, you know, and that was really a key for me. So six six Ks, that's nice. That's something that Ashby can kind of do on a regular basis, in my opinion. But the five walks, he was struggling with con- command a little bit. Um, Got came in for a third. He had a strikeout. Uh, Boxberger, Williams, Hater, Hater had another save, three strikeouts, but he also had two walks. So when you break down all the pitching, we had 12 Ks and seven walks, which isn't the best ratio in my opinion, but it got the job done. And people picking up RBIs was Wong, Taylor, and Telez. And Rowdy Telez, man, I'm starting to think he's underrated. I'm being completely honest. I mean, we're he might be the first guy to start two opening days at first base in a row since Prince Fielder. He might be yeah. that guy coming into next year. I want to answer two questions. Well, one, I want to answer two questions in here. One of them is why wouldn't the Players Association allow a salary cap and floor? Because it would stop L.A. from being able to spend $300 million and True. have and have contracts like Mookie Betts is like a 10-year, $350 million contract. And Kershaw and Walker Bueller and everybody else that they have there and Justin Turner – and then be able to add Freddie Freeman in free agency. That's ridiculous, man. Seriously. Like, the, the fact that you can basically just spend and spend and spend and spend and spend and spend and spend, there will never be parity in baseball because of no. But Mm-mm. the Players Association, no salary cap, means that the teams that want to spend more can go ahead and spend more. It is dumb. And I, I it, that's the reason that I've, I said this a couple weeks ago, that I, I think with – um, with the National Hockey League getting some of their games nationally televised, I think Major League Baseball is in real danger of being passed in popularity by the NHL in the next three to five years. Bro, I sat down and watched two full periods of hockey last night. For the it first was fun, time wasn't it? I bet you it had was fun. awesome. It was awesome. Playoff I was watching hockey is so fun. the Stars versus the Flames, man. That was awesome, man. It was 1-0, Playoff but dude. Hockey is so fun. High flying, people are hitting each other, the puck's flying around. I'm like, man, I could do this every day. <laughs> um, Scott, they can afford it because they're in LA. There's no like the NFL, they share all the TV money. The the Major League Baseball, they have no TV revenue sharing. Mm-hmm. LA has more people, so they have more TV deals because they have more people. So they have more money and they don't have to share it with Seattle. They don't have to share it with Milwaukee. They don't have to share it with Cincinnati. They don't have to share it with Oakland. They base they keep it except for like I don't know. I don't know the exact percentage, but there's a small sliver that goes into Major League Baseball. But they keep most of their TV revenue 
So literally being in L.A. or being in New York or San Diego, the Padres have a good amount of money. They're not quite as much, but the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers always will have the most money to spend because they're in a place simply with more people. Yeah. That's just stupid to me. That's just stupid. And I, oh, dude, I wanted the Coyotes to, to come to Milwaukee. Was, or they originally didn't want to put ice in Pfizer for them, but they did. And it's like, NHL! But make it happen, man. We got good I fans around oh, here, man. Yeah. We, got, we got great fans in this state, man. Seriously. Have their own radio network that, like, all the city listens. It's, it's New York. They just, they have more people. That's. They need a cap and a floor because you can have a team like the Pirates who have a $70 million payroll and they end up with, you know, $100 million in profit, the, even with a non-competitive team, that mm-hmm. they still make money even though they don't have wins. It, Bro, it's, pr- it's a fact Scott, of the matter. Scott, there's a lot of people that go to NHL. Man, I would be – I would turn into a huge hockey fan if we had a Wisconsin team. Sure, but I'm, I'm not trying to – I'm not family. trying to sit here and watch freaking – Chicago and Minnesota all the damn time. No. Yeah. And I'm not going to be a fan of nothing Minnesota or Chicago, okay? Nope. So don't For the don't... NHL I'm a Nashville fan, so kind of That's how it should up, be. But, um but it's like the the NFL is is the perfect way of looking at how parity works. Mm-hmm. Everything is spread even, everybody has the same salary number, and that's what the salary number is. Basketball is a little bit is a little bit different. Um, you know, you can spend into the luxury tax, you pay a little extra tax, but, um, you know, the highest competing teams can spend a little extra mm-hmm. baseball. It's freaking ridiculous. They just, you can have a team that spends 300 million and you can have a team that spends 30. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Playing in the same league. Like it's, there will, there will never be parity in baseball until they have a cap and floor. And there will never be a mystery why it's not as popular as basketball or football. It is what it is. And that's that's why I said what I said. I really think they're in danger of being passed by the NHL. I agree with that. More people will get into the NHL, man. I mean, people like physicality, fast-paced action. Yep. You get physicality and fast pace in the number one sport in this country. The, if you put it on ice, that's hockey. Yeah. Badgers, women's hockey, and CHA champs. Badgers, <laughs> women's hockey is awesome. Yeah, we're dominant. Just like our, just like the Badgers women's volleyball, dominant. Yep. They dominate both of those. Yeah, a lot of um, USA players from the Badgers going the, or yeah, come from the Badgers. The USA women's, they come from five, Wisconsin. I think it was five of them last year. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so game two of that Brewers Pirates series. Jake already mentioned Ashby, the five and two thirds, the six yep. days, the yep. five walks. Um, he didn't give up a hit until the sixth inning, though. So I mean, he gave up a bunch of. That's true. He gave up a bunch of base runners, but he didn't give up any hits. The thing with Ashby that that struggled, um, that he struggled to do that got him into the levels walk situations was he needs to do better at getting ahead in the count. Uh, yeah. He got behind in a lot of counts, and that's what got him into trouble. Um, Bruce scored two runs in the seventh inning, one in the ninth, on a lot of small ball. So it's good to see that. I saw a question pop in the comments about. Um, so the Brewers have enough offense to win a pennant, and I do, I do think they do. Um, the Cardinals are a little shaky right now, um, and the Brewers, the pitching, the fact that they're getting top to bottom in the rotation, um, what they're getting, and I'm going to get into this a little bit when we talk about some of the more recent games. Um, you know, it's 
interesting. Um, what the Brewers are getting from their pitching, it's insane. Um, yeah. Neither team actually had a hit through the first six innings until Wong had a double. Um, but then Ashby, he's doing his thing. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more Ashby when we get into um, the Cubs series. But um, Josh Hader, still perfect. Got to get the walks down. The pitchers, the pitchers in general. It's Williams, Hader, Ashby. Woodruff struggled with walks a little bit. Um, Burns has had a couple walks. Just got to get the walks down. That's. It seems like guys are starting to round into form now, and it's mm-hmm. like if they had a full spring training, maybe this wouldn't have been super. Uh, you know, super slow start to the season. Um. What do you have anything else you want to talk about that before we go to game three? Nope. Okay. Brewers are just winning baseball games. Yelich is doing okay. It seems like he has two good games, then two bad games. Yeah. Um, just a little more consistency from him. I mean, he's he's kind of getting there. So um, yeah, he's turning the corner a little bit. It's it, yeah. it's giving me a little That's bit of hope. It, yeah, I agree. I mean, he absolutely destroyed the Cubs, so I'm really excited to get to that series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the Game 3 before we talk about the Brewers-Cubs series. Okay. Well, Peralta is usually the guy that gives up the walks, right, in our starting rotation. He had zero in his last start against the Pirates. Six innings, zero runs, seven Ks, zero walks. That is how it's done. That's the Freddy fastball, Freddy curveball, Freddy Peralta that we all know. Uh, in this game, uh, and it's happened again recently, Devin Williams picked up a save. One inning pitch, three Ks, no walks. Yep. The Brewers, if you break down their Ks and walks, they had 11 strikeouts to zero walks in this game. That's good. That is massive. And it's because we talked about it for a couple of weeks. I think you brought it up first, uh, talking about how the walks have really, really killed us. And, you know, and then I brought up the stat about all the two-out hits after giving up walks with two outs, yeah. you know, and just putting people on base and giving them an yep. extra batter, you know. It's like yep. your mind goes into, okay, one more batter. And then you walk a guy, and it's like, ah, oh, man, all right, one more batter. And then you just leave one over the middle, make one mistake, and that's how you lose baseball games, right? Yeah. Baseball is such a, ah, oh, man, such a technicality, you know, sport. You have to hit this certain spot with this certain yeah. pitch, you know. Well, um, the thing with the Brewers is that with – with a team that's based on their pitching and defense and less on their offense, the margin of error for that becomes a lot smaller. Oh, agreed. Agreed. The only Scott player that picked in for a little while. Yeah. Agreed, man. Um, the only person picking up RBIs in this game was Andrew McCutcheon against his old team. All so that's them. pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. He got all three. Um, and he, he led the game off with a solo Homer literally on the first pitch. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was crazy, but he knows how to hit in that park. So that's all I got to say about that. Um, McCutcheon led the game off on the first pitch home run. Brewers struck out 13 times in this game. So it was McCutcheon, and then it was quiet for a long time, and then it was McCutcheon a little bit. Um, Boxberger got into a little bit of trouble. Like we said, Mm -hmm. none of these guys are going to be perfect 100% of the time. Expecting that is idiotic. It's sorry to be a little harsh, but it is. Um, No guy is going to be 100% perfect through the entire season. Mm-hmm. Even Francisco Cordero, when he was, like, lighting the world on fire with all the saves that he was putting up, was, like, 48 for 52 on saves. Yeah. Francisco Rodriguez was the same way. Like, no, like his name was K-Rod, but he was not 100% perfect on saves. 
Like Agreed. guys are going to give up some hits and runs sometimes. Um, Tyrone Taylor missed a home run by a couple feet. That's one of those things where like you have a ball that just doesn't fly as much. It's a little bit lighter. Guys missed home runs by this much. It's like baseball. If you want more runs scored, like I said, just put a juiced ball in there. Like they want to make all these changes, like banning the shift and making the bases bigger and moving second base closer to home plate. They won't address the ball. Yeah, or they do, and it's in a negative way. Like yeah, I want or, more yeah, scoring. Or they go to the wrong direction. That yeah, was probably, that was probably Rob Manfred. They're like, "Hey, here's the ball. Like, should we go this way or should we go this way?" And he's like, "Uh, go that way." And they're like, "Rob, that was that was the way to make the ball not fly as far." And that's 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 Rob Manfred's commissioning. <laughs> you throw us like for real. <laughs> Very nicely done. Very nicely done. <laughs> that was my mannequin challenge. Um, <laughs> Brent Suter and Hobie Milner pitched clean in this game. Then Devin Williams got his first save. Um, I'll I'll get I'll get to Devin Williams in a sec when we mm-hmm. talk about the the game last night. So let's switch to the Cubs series. The first two games of this series were really fun. Yeah, the offense, fuego. Oh my goodness, we were on fire, baby. Um, <laughs> Dude, the first game, holy co- holy shit, dude. Seriously. I almost said holy camoly. I almost said it. I said, no, I'm not saying that virgin no. word anymore. <laughs> no more holy camoly. Um, so we're talking about the baseball not flying as far, and then we come into a game where the Brewers hit six home runs, and it was your stat of the week. So I'm going to let you have all the home runs. I'm just going to talk about the pitching a little bit. Um, Adrian Hauser, six innings. You know, that's that's basically the bare minimum we're getting out of our starters, which is ridiculous. We are very blessed for that. That is not normal, I think. Uh, six innings, you know, bare minimum. Uh, he gave up two hits. He gave up no earned runs. He had six Ks. He had three of our five walks for our team. Mm-hmm. The Brewers ended up with nine, nine Ks and five walks. That's not the greatest ratio. But they only gave up one run. So I'm not going to sit here and complain and be like, oh, my God, they pitched horribly. They gave up one run to the Cubs, but we scored 11. And like I said, this was Tyler's stat of the week, so I'm going to let him handle the offense on this game. So the Brewers hit six home runs in this game. Um, it was the second time that they've hit six home runs against the Chicago Cubs. The, the last time they did it was exactly 16 years ago uh, in 2006 against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. That is 16 crazy. years to the day the last time they hit six home runs in a game against the Cubs. That is insane. That's a crazy stat, dude. That's good stuff. So... The Brewers jumped out to an early lead in this game. They were up 3-0 after two innings, up 4-0 after three innings. Um, the Brewers hitting home runs early and often. Jace Peterson hit one in the second. McCutcheon hit one in the third. Yelich hit one in the fifth. Um, yep. Hunter Renfro hit one in the seventh. Willie Adamas hit one in the eighth. Cubs scored their only run on a wild pitch. Yep. Every batter got a hit. Even the pinch hitter, Mike Brasso, was one for one. And then, like Jake said, Adrian Hauser was solid. So going back to last June 27th, I did it with Eric Lauer last week. Going back to June 27th last year, the top five pitchers in ERA, Eric Lauer is number three with a 216. Corbin Burns is number four at 221. And Adrian Hauser is number five at 225. That's not fair. That is not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. Bruce have three of the top five guys in ERA since last June. And we already know how good Woody and Freddie can be, bro. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then you get to the, and then you get to the back of end of our bullpen. 
That's not fair. That is not <laughs> fair. If Yelich and Renfro are hitting, because I feel like McCutcheon has a groove, man. He's going to hit. Yeah. If Renfro and, and, and Yelich can, can be consistent hitters, high average, hitting the ball in the ballpark, this team can win the World Series. That's the key. All right. Let's talk about game two. Uh, so, Yelich and Renfro back-to-back days with homers. Telez joined the party. He hit a homer, his fourth of the year. Renfro his fifth, and Yelich his third. Um, getting RBIs in this game was Yelich, Renfro, Telez, obviously, and then Hira and Brousseau also picked up RBIs. Eric Lauer was masterful again. Absolutely masterful. This he might be our third best starter, and I'm I'm saying might because it's still early in the season. But Eric Lauer, the start he's got off to is incredible. Seven innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, eleven Ks, and one walk. This guy's striking everybody out. It's ridiculous. He was a soft contact ground ball guy. Yep. And now he's striking people out, and he's still getting soft contact. Yep. Um, got with an inning. And Cousins with an inning. Uh, we ended with 15 Ks and, th- and three walks. I'm okay with that ratio. Yep. We beat the shit out of the Cubs, so I'm happy. Yeah. Um, Andrew McCutcheon and Lorenzo Cain were the only players that didn't get hits in this game. That's crazy, bro. The the home run that Rowdy hit absolutely smoked. Yeah, I know. I kind of love Rowdy. You know, because I picked on him so bad last year when I said he has the agility of a refrigerator. I feel bad for that. <laughs> I mean, he's not any more agile than he was. He's just hitting the ball more. Um, <laughs> just, just wait, bro. So, so the Brewers jumped out to an early lead in this game as well. 3 nothing lead. Um, playing small ball and, and smart base running, which is something I, I mentioned last week. I wanted to see more aggressive base running. Um, Andrew McCutcheon and Christian Yelich. Hunter Renfro with the softest contact on a base hit this season. It was like 24 miles an hour off the bat. He must have hit it like literally off the end of the bat. Like, not not talking about the end of the bat, but literally like if you take your bat and turn it this way, like he hit it off the end of the bat. Um, they Chelsea, they would in they, Wisconsin? What? That doesn't mean they would keep the name, you nerd. We could change the name. Chelsea, there are absolutely coyotes in Wisconsin. Oh, my God. Yeah, tell me you've never been to Wisconsin without telling me you've never been to Wisconsin. And you're a fan of a team here? You ever heard of Google? <laughs> oh, man. We got to bring the joke back, Tyler. <laughs> All, right. All right. So the Brewers scored nine runs in this game. Four of them came off of home runs. Five of them came off of manufacturing and putting hits together. Um, yes, Chelsea, there really are coyotes in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> so the Brewers had the first inning at three hits with runners in scoring position. They were five for ten total in runners of scoring position this game. Um, Eric Lauer continuing to dazzle. Thirteen strikeouts in his last game. Eleven. Oh my God, Chelsea, you're killing me. Um, <laughs> Eleven strikeouts in this game. Christian Yelich is three for five. Two RBI. Hunter Renfro was three for five with two RBI. Rowdy Telez was two for four with three RBI. Um, and like I said, Lorenzo Kane and Andrew McCutcheon were the only hitless players in this game. Um, do you have anything else to say about that one before we talk about the final game of that series? Nope. We could talk about it because Cubs fans are probably really happy. Right. And they're probably like, oh, yeah, we beat the Brewers today. It's like, cool. We won the series. Um, 
Arizona sun is cooking the brain. Oh. I'm a, I will say that to her from now on. I'm going to that one. <laughs> Tim. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Oh, that's awesome. Jeez. Uh, welcome to the show, Tim. That was great timing. Yeah, Tim, where the hell you been, man? Come on. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, that was a good comment to hop in on, though. Um, Julio Jones. No. <laughs> no. Don't do that. I was hoping Tim would see the comment that one guy said about picking up Julio. I, I was thinking in my head while I was typing, where is he, he, Tim? Tim would hop in there. He'd be like, yes, my guy. Okay, <laughs> so Corbin Burns actually had a really good outing. Struck out two of the first, three in the first inning. Um, yeah, he did. The third consecutive starter with 10-plus strikeouts. His third consecutive start with 10-plus strikeouts. Um Giovanni Gallardo is the only other player in Brewers history to do that. Oh, three consecutive strikes starts with ten plus strikeouts. Tyler um, is the Brewers stat king. I don't care what nobody says. Brewers stat king right here. Um, Stroman was just a little bit better. He had seven really good innings. Um, Brewers only had three base runners, and only one of them got to second base. Um, mm-hmm. Willie Adams, Omar Narvaez, and Tyrone Taylor had the only hits. And with Corbin Burns, it's unfortunate that he got a loss. But like I've said with Josh Hader and Corbin Burns is similar. Power pitchers generate power hits. Yeah. Ball goes hard in, the ball comes hard off. Yeah. Um, and that's just that's just what it is. Um, 0 for Science. 5 with runners in scoring position. And then late in the game, they're trying to score runs and they're not being aggressive. That's hmm. – I just want to see some aggressiveness. So, I yes, I do believe the Brewers have enough hitting. They just need to be more aggressive. And after we talk about our power pairs, I have a a little bit of things that I want to say about the Brewers being aggressive. So, um, I don't know if you want to say anything about that game or if you just want to fly past that one. I just, I feel bad for Corbin Burns because the guy is just such a monster. It feels like he gets no run support. How the hell do we score 11 runs and 9 runs and then it's his day to pitch? And he's like, oh, yeah. Brandon Woodruff last year. Brandon Woodruff got no run support. He had like a 253 ERA, but his record was 9 and 11. That is part of why I believe that pit the uh, wins should not be a pitcher stat. I agree. I agree. It's kind of like, it's the same argument for quarterbacks getting getting all the yep. win credit. It's so it's the exact, stupid. It's the exact same thing. Um, Corbin Burns was great. The Brewers are all for five and with runners in scoring position. It is what it is. Took a loss. We won the series. That's that's the thing. The Brewers won the series. That's just what they need to keep doing. Just keep winning series. That's what they did last year. Led them to what ninety seven wins. So you win two out of three, you're going to put yourself in a good position. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Reds. Game one. The Reds suck. Okay. That's how I'm going to start this. Reds are real bad. They suck. I was gonna I was gonna go on their Twitter and just be like, give us Joey Votto. Give us Joey Votto. Dude, I want. I would love Joey Votto. Give me Joey. Give us Joey Votto. I was just gonna say that in every one of their posts. Joey Votto to the Brewers. Joey Votto to the Brewers. But anyways, Woody pitched really, really good yesterday, man. Five and a third, uh, four hits, uh, three earned runs, but he had 12 Ks and no walks. I love, oh, man, when I started, like, taking the stats game by game and I was like, this many strikeouts to this many walks, you can really, really tell when a guy's on. 12 Ks and zero walks is insane. Uh, Overall, we had 16 Ks and zero walks as a team. And Willie Adamas and Telez both had homers. Wong, Adamas, Telez, Urias, your boy, is back. Hey, he had an RBI. Um, yeah, that's that's what 
They look good. He the Reds almost, are bad, though. He almost stole second base, too, Urias did. He ended up getting called out on the replay. Yep. Um, it's good to see Urias back in the lineup just to give that consistency. Like I like Jace Peterson as our super utility guy, but not as a starter. Um, I agree. So it was good to see Luis Urias back in the lineup. He was he reached on an error, and he was one for two with a walk. Um, and he scored a couple runs. So it's good to see him back in the lineup. Um I felt bad for Andrew McCutcheon last night because he was hitting the ball really hard. He just couldn't find a hole. Like, he smoked one at the shortstop, and he smoked one in the left field that we're just right at, guys. Um, but getting into this, Brandon Woodruff makes three consecutive starts for the Brewers now with 10-plus strikeouts. Lower in the second game of the Cubs series had 11. Burns in the third game of that series had 10, 10 or 12. Yep, 10. And then, and then Woodruff last night had 12. And then after <laughs> after Woodruff... You go to Aaron Ashby, who was making people look silly. Um, yeah. His Aaron Ashby's slider was nasty last night. And then he's throwing a fastball that moves like this at 97 miles an hour. And then he's he's trying to get guys to swing at his slider that just and just drops out of the zone. Mm-hmm. And then he throws a 90-mile-an-hour changeup. So he's, striking, he's striking people out with everything. That's ridiculous. Dude, that's, the Brewers. That's, that's the 2024 Cy Young winner, Aaron Ashby, right there. The Brewers in 20. I was going to say, the Brewers in like 2024 are going to be freaking stupid. We got a lot of young talent down Ethan there. Ethan Small was actually named the International League Player of the Month because his ERA was like .77 in April. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So Ethan Small is lighting it up in the minor leagues, too, and he'll be here soon. That's um, crazy, bro. We have so many arms. You <laughs> <laughs> know. That, have, that's like, what makes me believe, though. Spain outfielder prospects. See, that's what makes me believe, though, that we could get rid of, you know, because they like to put the, put those young guys in the bullpen to get them experience. Yep. If you're just going to do that anyways, package a deal with a couple of our good bullpen guys and bring in another bat. Why can't you mean we do like that? like last year when they traded Drew Rasmussen and J.P. Fireisen for William Thomas? Yeah, why can't we do that again? They're, they're, the Brewers will be active at the trade deadline. There's no doubt about that. But... Aaron Ashby, two and a third inning, only two hits, three strikeouts. Um, Rowdy redeemed his three strikeout night with a home run in the top of the ninth. Um, I already mentioned Andrew McCutcheon. Devin Williams. So this is, I said I was going to wait and hold on to this. Devin Williams got his second save last night. So a lot of people questioning why is Devin Williams going in for another save opportunity when Josh Hader hasn't pitched since last Thursday. Josh Hader was dealing with back spasms. Um, Council and the Brewers did say that he should be available today or tomorrow. Um, so it doesn't seem like it's anything super serious, but it was something worthy enough to give Devin Williams a couple save opportunities, which he converted both. So that is good. <laughs> Look at the flexibility in our pitching, dude. Hey, you're the setup guy. Nope, now you're the saver. You're, you're the yep. closer. Sorry, you're the closer. Saver. Yeah. The saver. Oh. <laughs> that, was, that was not good. That was not good. I tried to talk too fast. Didn't think. That was not good. Oh, that's You're awesome. the saver. You're the saver. Oh, God. man. Damn it. <sighs> oh, that is awesome. That I'm out here making a fool of myself, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Uh, you, get in there, Devin. You're the saver today. <laughs> yeah, go be the saver today. <laughs> I don't care. That's awesome. Let it happen. Oh, All right. God damn it. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Power pair will be interesting this week because you can pick one position player and one pitcher. I'm interested to see who you have. 
Let's start pitcher with this week since we did position player first last week. All right. My pitcher, I went. I wanted to go outside the box because Josh Hader did win the reliever of the month for mm-hmm. April. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, we posted that yesterday. Josh Hader has been awesome. I wanted to go a little outside the box like I try to do once in a while just, to, just so Jake and I get some variance. I went with Aaron Ashby. Okay. Because his stuff last night was absolutely dirty. And then you go back to the Pittsburgh series, and he was his two appearances, eight innings total, nine strikeouts, only three hits. He did have the five walks. Those all came in the one game. Only one earned run, mm-hmm. and he's working all of his pitches. His fastball yeah. is 97 miles an hour and moving. His changeup is in the low 90s, and his slider is moving over a foot and in the low 80s. You That's get that, ridiculous. like – 15 16 mile an hour difference in your main breaking ball to your fastball and both of them move in different directions yeah. like that freaking sucks as a batter <laughs> yeah that's tough dude you're basically playing a guessing game so for me uh i went with uh last week i had josh Hader. you know any one reliever of the month uh this week i went with devin williams because he was just simply untouchable I like uh, it. No, no walks, no hits. That's kind of a theme for me. He had three innings pitched, two saves. Uh, he was able to step up into a new role as the saver. <laughs> Just kidding. He's the closer. <laughs> and uh, he had five Ks. So he went to a new role, and he he didn't bat an eye. I like it. All right. Do you have anybody but Willie Adamas for your position player? Yes. Oh, look at this guy. I couldn't. I couldn't put anybody but Willie, and that's why I had to wear the Willie Adamas jersey today too. Um, he was the NL player of the week. He had six home runs last week, um, or not last week. He has six home runs, is the league leader at shortstop in home runs. So he started off kind of rough leading the league in strikeouts, and now he's leading shortstops in home runs. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a four-game hit streak going, and in the last week he's batting three ten, has four home runs and 10 RBI. So I went with Willie Adonis. I went Rowdy Telez, baby. Uh, that's is, why you were saying you like Rowdy so much. Oh man, when I was man, I was breaking down the games and I'm looking at this and I'm like, Rowdy's kind of good, bro. Not not gonna lie. Uh, he was six of eighteen, so he bat three thirty three. Uh, he had eight RBIs, the home run, and uh, he we found out he has a nine inch vertical this week. That was nine one thing inch. that we found. Mm. Nine inches, dude. He went like this. That's <laughs> it's got to be nine inches. Oh, uh, I would have taken the under. <laughs> did it look like nine? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even know refrigerators could jump that high. Neither did I, dude. It was crazy. That's why I was so shocked. And I was like, he has to be player of the week easily. <laughs> Never seen a refrigerator jump. Seriously, he does have the agility in a refrigerator. Not even lying. And he's still more agile than Tyler Lancaster. That isn't well. Lancaster's. I was gonna say that's impressive, but it's not. Lancaster's really. Just, <laughs> he's just fat. Okay, I'm sorry. He's just. He's just there. He is. That's, that's all he, he is. He shows up. He's like, I'm here. And you know what? You know what? He's not even He's not even in the right spot to be there most of the time, which is really ridiculous. I will never forgive him for missing that block on that missed field goal at the end of half. That could have changed the entire, the entire game. Would have changed the entire game. Yeah. But anyways. All right. <clears throat> so, looking forward, uh, Bruce have two more games, the Reds, then they would play three in Atlanta, and then they have three more in Cincinnati. Um, it's going to be Freddie tonight, um, Hauser tomorrow, and then Lauer, Burns, Woodruff. Um, we'll see if Hauser ends ones. up getting another start um, in there somewhere. But um, the Brewers' starting lineup is is nuts. You basically know you're getting 
<laughs> He's not even in the group chat and he did it. God damn it. <laughs> Other people like Star Wars, Jake. <sighs> Anyways, um, basically the Brewers starting lineup, you know you're getting five or six, sometimes more innings, and probably only one, one or two runs given up and a bunch of strikeouts. But um, So I talked about this last week, about wanting the Brewers to be more aggressive early in counts. Um just to try to generate more hits. I was two weeks ago that I brought it up that the Brewers are among the best teams in the league at not chasing pitches, but are also 20, I think it was 24th in the league in um, swing percentage. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. I'm going to find just so I make sure that I'm saying the right thing here. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm saying the right thing. No, you're understandable. Too many notes in here. That's what happens when you take so many notes. That's what happens when I have so many notebooks going. Okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, Brewers, oh, zone swing percentage. That was the other one. So, the Brewers were 24th in the league in zone swing percentage. So, they're, they're not swinging at pitches outside the zone, but they're also not swinging pitches inside the zone. So, Watching last night's game, it really, I really ended up honing in to a really, really specific count, and it's 2-0. The Brewers, I saw at least three times last night where the Brewers had a 2-0 count, and they watched a strike right down the middle. It's like if you like, if you know he's throwing a strike, like attack that pitch. Yeah, attacking a 2-0 count. It's not like it's not like a three zero count where you're just taking a strike just to see if the guy will throw you a bad pitch and you can draw a walk. A two zero count, like going three zero, obviously still benefits you. Going three one, you know whatever. Going two one, it kind of evens the count. It doesn't even the count, but it, you know, mm-hmm. two balls or two strikes ends the at bat. But two zero, and guys are just trying to throw strikes so they're not behind three zero. Attack that pitch. Two zero. I got really specific now. That's the pitch count that I want the Brewers to start being aggressive in. Because you're going to get pitches to hit. So, it's really super specific, but that's the count that I'm looking at. Um, it does seem to be that the Brewers getting early leads seems to be the key to their winning. Um, look at all the Pirates games, the Cubs games, the two that they won last night. Getting early leads seems to be the key. Getting off to a good start before the opposing guys like Marcus Stroman can get into their rhythm. Mm-hmm. So Cousins or Strowman was able to get into his rhythm, and he didn't get out of it. Um, looking forward, um, Mike Brasso and Alex Jackson were sent down for the roster cuts at the beginning of May. They went from 28 to 26 roster spots. That was one of the adjustments they made at the beginning of the season. Um, and Jake Cousins sent to the 10-day injured list with elbow effusion, and then Luis Urias obviously called up. Um, the Brewers have now won four straight series in a row, so... Just keep winning series. Just keep doing that. Um, we'll see what we'll see what the Atlanta series brings. Um, you know they're they're playing the Pirates, the Cubs, and the Reds, the teams that are going to finish the bottom three in yeah. the NL Central. But you just keep winning series, and you know you go play Atlanta and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about the Brewers? Yeah. Uh, did you see their game, the giveaway for September 11th? Yeah. Dude, I called I, Courtney. I'm like, I found a game I want to go to. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, I told Chantel. I was like, yeah. 
I sent it to her, and she was like, you better be going. I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just go by myself then. Oh, you I twisted mean, my arm, huh? Yeah, yeah, I guess I'll go by myself, or I'll ask one of my friends. Oh. <laughs> no, I think that's definitely one I want to go to. There's, uh, there's a couple. But then you also have to remember you have to save money for these million-dollar Packer games that are going to be coming out pretty soon here. Yeah. Because they're going to be coming out with the schedule in, what, eight, eight days, I think? Yep. Yeah, 12th. Ten days before Willie Adamas Day. Oh, great day in Brewers history, man. Great yes. day. Willie Adamas Day, May 22nd. That's a good day. <clears throat> All right. You ready to switch to Packers? Yes, sir. Let's do this. All right. Let's talk about the Packers draft picks. So, the Packers picks drafted. We're going to do undrafted free agents separately. Drafted Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Christian Watson, Sean Ryan, Romeo Dubs, Zach Tom, Kingsley Enigbari, Tariq Carpenter, Jonathan Ford, Rasheed Walker, and Samari Toure. So, let's start with Quay Walker. What do you see from Quay Walker? What are you looking at with him? Quay Walker, uh, he's big, he's long, he does not miss tackles, and he is sideline to sideline. Uh, you you match a guy up who has the physicals and a guy that could be coached up, and this is exactly why they yep. do it, because they believe in their coaching. So, everybody else freaking out about this pick, you know, you yep. saw you saw our live re- our, act, our reaction live, right? So... You, you you take a guy who has the physical mm-hmm. attributes and you put him with a guy that's going to give him the brain and you have a match made in heaven. So people are talking about, oh, he doesn't understand. I saw a couple of people like, he doesn't understand the nuances of the game. And I used your word. I was like, well, good thing he's with the linebacker whisperer then because he's going to get him in the right spot. Also having, having him next to Devondre Campbell, a guy who just won first team, you know, as the best linebacker in the NFL basically – that is okay. going to be a match made in heaven. Yes. I feel like Quay Walker is going to be a great pick for the next. He can we're, learn on the field. We're going to we're going to see in the next five years him blossom into one of the best young linebackers in the league. I agree. What and he'll think? be along Devondre Campbell for the whole way. Oh my God, we are very stout up the middle. All of a sudden, it yeah. took one draft, and we're just like, "Yep, we're good up the middle now." <laughs> yep. Uh, we're, good luck. When, when, when Paul Brettel gets in here, we're going to have some really interesting questions for him um looking at quay walker he's 6'3 241 made 66 out of 69 tackles in 2021 he's a 6'8 wingspan he's a 6'8 wingspan bro his size and speed combo gave him a 9.63 ras great score that is a very great score he's really good against the run and he has the speed to be able to play in coverage yep packers saw their guy they went and got him if If the Packers had drafted Wyatt at 22 and Quay Walker at 28, like nobody would have batted a nine. Yeah. So having Devontae Wyatt fall to that 28 spot, who is also 6'3", but he's 304 pounds. We run a 47740 at 304 pounds. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. That is a train, I, dude. Oh, that's, that is nuts. He's got the lateral quickness. He has a high IQ for diagnosing plays. And he was compared to Kenny Clark. Yeah, I saw that. And then they, they also said that Quay Walker was compared to Devondre Campbell. I'm like, oh, shit, we about to go crazy, dude. <laughs> Golly. Two Kenny Clarks? You can't right. double both of them. Right. It, it's it's an unstoppable. And, and Dean Lowry, if you – like, all I've been wanting is somebody good opposite Dean Lowry. Yep. Then he can, he can flourish. There'll be a lot of one-on-ones. Like, he improved last year. You're putting somebody who needs to have attention paid to him on the other side of him. Like Dean Lowry could have a really good year this year, and Reed. We added Reed. Imagine Reed. the imagine the three man lineup when we have we have Wyatt, we have Clark, and we have Reed on on there. We were already talking about not doubling. You know, Reed getting one on ones. Now he's guaranteed one on ones. 
And this guy likes to hit the quarterback. Oh, that is – they did an awesome job rebuilding this front seven this offseason. Yes, right? I strongly agree. Do you want to say anything about Devontae Wyatt? He's really, really freaking good at football, man. And he should not have failed to pick 28. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I saw somebody say it, he wasn't going to fall to 22. Man, oh, man. I agree. I man, he once. fell right into our laps. Twice. Like, think about this, man. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right, go to number 34, Christian Watson. Christian Watson. I am in a weird spot with Christian Watson, man. See, on one hand, I love all the abilities that he has. He's he's long. He's fast. He has a really great catch radius. Yes. And then on the other end, he doesn't have a great catch percentage. And I didn't see him run every route. I mean, he didn't have to. He was in the FCS. So, that basically, he's going up against everybody. the... Yeah, he's just running by everybody, and he can because he has 4'3 speed and he's 6'5. That's ridiculous. So I don't know how to feel about him. I know he has the ultimate ceiling, but I also feel like he has an MVS floor. And to me, I don't know how I feel about that because when they drafted MVS, they got him in the fifth round. So if he's going to compare to MVS, and it's not that I hate to pick. You know, the, guy, the kid could have just a heart that MVS didn't have. You know, and he could he could have a work ethic, you know, like Devontae Adams. But I mean he, he came out like the day after the draft, he said I spoke to Aaron Rodgers. He's like, I'm mm-hmm. ready for the high expectations. I'm not saying I'm not against the pick. I'm actually more excited for the pick than I am, you know, not excited, but I guess with me it's a wait and see kind of approach with Watson. So the one thing that I will say he he did improve his route running in his, his last year, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Um he had the nine point nine six RAS which is the best among wide receivers. Jake already mentioned the wide catch radius. Um, mm-hmm. The thing with with this to maybe put your mind at ease a little bit is that he was one of the standouts from the Senior Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. All of the cornerbacks that played against him at the Senior Bowl voted on the wide receiver that they thought was the best, and they all picked Christian Watson. So Christian Watson being a Senior Bowl stand-up, that, that increased his, uh, his draft value a little bit. And then, um, um, you know, being against all the guys that are getting drafted in the NFL as cornerbacks, um, seeing his talent and and picking him as the best wide receiver standout from the Senior Bowl. That's completely fair. I mean, Cody, I mean, the, the Packers, Gutekunst did come out right, he, and he just said it like we're going to add speed, and Matt LaFleur said the same thing. He did. He sa- They said that, and they added speed. They added speed. On offense and defense, they added speed. Yeah. They added That's all it. I'm going to say. All right, so – do you want to say anything about Sean Ryan? Um, he is huge, and he's going to play right tackle. And if he's good, then it's an awesome pick. Yep. And if not, the Packers have offensive line depth like they always do, which is always important. Um, he's got experience at guard and tackle. He's physical, mm-hmm. and he's athletic enough to pull across the line. So if, you, if you're running left, like you can bring him from right tackle across and have him help block. He's athletic that is, for that. That is great. That's a val- that's a valuable trade as far as an offensive lineman is concerned. It's not sexy to talk about offensive linemen, but it's a necessary thing. Um, <clears throat> and he has a coachable attitude. That's mm-hmm. that's something I appreciate about any player is having a coachable attitude, being willing to uh, be versatile, adaptable, and do what the coaching staff is asking of you instead mm-hmm. of saying, you know, this is what I do. I don't want to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that coachable attitude and that versatility at guard and tackle, I did like that pick. Um, Definitely overlooked. Yeah, he could have been an earlier pick. Um, 
Sexiest name in the draft, Romeo Dubs. He's going to wear number 87. He's 6'2", 201 pounds. He had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons at Nevada. He plays yeah, tough. He has super strong hands. That was one of the like the most hands was like on the top of one of my, my lists. Um, mm-hmm. The things that I wanted. Romeo Dubs was my number 13 wide receiver. His hands are so damn strong. Carson Strong, every time he threw to him on third down, Romeo Dubs made the catch every single time. I wanted that's why I wanted Randall Cobb on the Packers. I wanted to have somebody that, that Aaron Rodgers could trust on third down because I harp on third downs so often during the season. Mm-hmm. So having a guy that's really good on third downs, I really appreciate that with Romeo Dubs. <clears throat> the thing that I and I'm actually way more excited about Romeo Dubs than I am Watson, which may sound crazy to some people, but the thing I love about Dubs is he catches everything with his hands. Yeah. And that's the problem I have with Watson. And it was the same thing with MVS. When he came to the league, he was a body catcher. He allowed the ball to get into his chest, which sometimes it'll bounce off. Mm-hmm. And Rodgers, you know, Rodgers said that he's going to be there and he's going to be working with him. That'll be one thing he beats the hell out of Watson for. Catch it with your hands. And if he can, if he can fix that in this next couple of months here, mm-hmm. we will be all good and Watson's going to turn into a freaking stud. But Romeo Dubs, man, and you're talking about him on third down, and Rodgers is such a pinpoint accuracy guy, and he's such he's so good on timing that if Rodgers knows that if Dubs cuts out on a little five-yard route, say it's a third and four, and Rodgers is going to throw it to that spot, he knows that Dubs is good and can reach out and grab that thing. Yep. And that's what I love about Romeo Dubs. He also has the ability to take the top off the defense. So we got two people that are taking the top off, not just one now. Romeo Dubs one. isn't super quick, but he's fast. Straight line, he could take the top off. He's and he's he's very deliberate on the on the end of his break to 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 get up the field. I mean, he's I if he stays healthy, Romeo Dubs, he's a monster, dude. I love Romeo Dubs. The thing he you can use him in the punt return game too. So if you decide yeah. you want to mold Amari Rogers as more of a slot receiver and you want him to be on the offense more than having him focusing on offense and punt returning, you put Romeo Dubs out there as a punt returner, and mm-hmm. he was really good at that at Nevada too. Um, I agree. Next pick is Zach Tom, 6'5", 295. He's, you know, could use a little bit of bulk, but um, he's a high IQ in the run and the pass game. He gets to the second level constantly, like always. He's ready to get to the second level because he's really athletic. So he's mm-hmm. always wanted to get to the second level, the athleticism. Um, Coming out of Wake Forest was first team all ACC. Yeah. Wake Forest is not traditionally a football school. So to be first team all ACC out of Wake Forest is saying something. Yeah, you're a pretty good football player. I'm actually more excited about him than our first lineman choice, kind of like the wide receivers. I feel like, you know, because he is a little smaller, he's quicker. That's why he can get up to the second level. And those are the runs where we we watch Aaron Jones run for 70 yards. You know, when the guard gets up and takes out a linebacker, it gets up there and takes out the box safety. Uh, Zach Tom, I feel like he's a guy to watch because he could sneak into the starting lineup, I feel like. He could be that, like, John Runyon guy that went, like – He can. Has you know something that goes on like Zach Tom is like the guy that slides in or like Royce Newman kind of slid in last year. Um, next pick Kingsley Inigbare. Let's talk about him. That guy just likes to hit the quarterback, and I love it, man. He just added outside linebacker depth. He's going to work with Preston. He's going to work with with Rashawn Gary. He's going to learn learn some of the nuances of of pass rushing in the NFL, and he's going to hit all the NFC North division quarterbacks a ton. He's 6'4", 259. Yeah. That's, that is that is linebacker. <laughs> that is decent size. That is absolutely um, decent size. Like you said, he lays the wood. He's a good pass rusher. Um, 
he can go strong up the middle with his strength, um, and he can get around the edge with his speed. Um, Cody's getting a little bit ahead of me. I do think Kingsley and Igbari was definitely a steal in the fifth round. Packers are pretty good in those later rounds. The, I would say. Um, they just think, suck in the third round. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next pick was Tariq Carpenter. He's a 6'3", 230-pound corner safety. I he's don't know. Kind I, of I a, listed he's, both. he's kind of a tweener, man. He's a, I watched a little bit of his tape on YouTube. He's a little bit mm-hmm. of a tweener. Um, he's that guy, if we want to go into a, a dime set or even a, a dollar set, he's the guy that slides down to the box to kind of shade over the tight end, or he can go in and get the running back on a weird third and six, third and four. You know, We're not mm-hmm. sure if they're going to run the ball. He's that guy. He could turn into a really, really interesting piece for us, I think. I, I like the idea of Tariq Carpenter, a guy that hits hard, he closes fast, he plays he plays a little better downhill than he does in coverage, I would say. So I do envision him more as a safety than a corner. But I like the I like the thought of Tariq Carpenter out there more than I like the idea of Henry Black or um, Vernon Scott. Yeah, Vernon Scott did, doesn't do it for me right now. It, who says he doesn't? You know, all of a sudden go crazy, but. It is what it is. I thought I thought both of them were gone. Yeah, they are. That's what I'm saying. Who who knows if he leaves and goes crazy, but And yes, Cody, he will definitely be on special teams. Uh, what if our special teams gets gets to be top five after one year? That'd be crazy. I'm not Dude, saying it's would, gonna happen. I would take top twelve. Oh, I mean I would too. I would take I literally a, just want them to be number sixteen. That's crazy, but I mean if they go from number thirty two to number sixteen, that's a one hundred percent improvement. <laughs> Oh, he's oh yeah. So that's that's, more... that's all I'm asking for is number sixteen. But I would love it if they could get a top twelve on special teams. That would um, be nuts. So they traded back from one seventy one to one seventy nine with um, Denver. Picked up an extra fourth rounder in the process. Uh, the next pick was two thirty four. Was Jonathan Ford, six five, three hundred thirty three pound defensive lineman, like huge. He's um, just a big body. <laughs> he's yeah. He's quick off the snap. Um, if you are within arm's reach of him, like you're being tackled. Uh, with a human that big, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, it, I mean, he just swallows you like he swallows everything else. <laughs> yeah, he does not. He just oh, eats all day. Running backs, line pancakes. Of his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just big, okay? Plain and simple. Um, next pick, kind of a sneaky – this is kind of a sneaky pick too. Um, Rasheed Walker I've seen could have been all the way up to a third-round pick. So he's a – Offensive lineman out of Penn State. What are you looking at from Rasheed Walker? He is a draft and develop, you know, to a T guy with the Packers. Uh, uh, Two years from now, we could even forget that this guy's even on the roster. I mean, casuals probably. I mean, we'll know that he's on the roster. But Mm -hmm. um, a couple years from now, he can all of a sudden just blossom into this really, really, you know, substantial backup tackle. That's Mm -hmm. what I think. He did at Penn State. He handled defensive ends and outside linebackers well. Um, keeps guys in front of him, which is good, especially at a possession of, if you're going to potentially play left tackle. Mm-hmm. you got to keep guys in front of you. You can't let people get by you at left tackle. Um, mm-hmm. and he's really good at using his hands. Other than that, like Jake said, he's going to be a draft and develop guy, which brings us to the last pick of the draft was Samari Toure. What are you looking at with Samari Toure? I've seen a lot of people really intrigued with the pick. That is the special teams return guy right there. He's very good with the ball in his hands. He has really good twitch. 
and he's a he's a make you miss kind of guy. Uh, I think he just got stuck on Nebraska, which didn't make him look too good. But I think he's a guy that could uh, make an impact year one. I think it would be interesting to see him in the return game, but I also think it would be interesting to see if he can get onto the field as a wide receiver. I I, I like the idea of it, but like mm-hmm. you said, at Nebraska, it's you know Nebraska. Um, He's a little undersized. He's pretty thin, but he's really good with yards after the catch, like you said. He's good at making guys miss. He averaged 19.5 yards per catch in 2021. He had 500-yard games. One of them came against Wisconsin. He had seven for 113 yards and a touchdown against Wisconsin. He also had – Him and the tight end killed us that day. Yeah. He also had four catches for 150 yards and a touchdown against Ohio State. See there. That's two really good defenses that he torched. Yeah. See there, there's there's where you're starting to talk some stuff. You're going against Wisconsin defense and Ohio State. Those two teams put a lot of NFL players. All right, so we're going to talk more, and we're going to welcome in Paul Brettel. So, Gentlemen, what's up? I'm good. Thank you for having about, me. Oh, yeah, he's rocking the Brewers too. Nice. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so. Jake came up with a bunch of questions that we wanted to ask about the Packers draft. We just kind of finished recapping all the drafted guys. So um, I'll let Jake ask the questions and then uh, we'll talk about them. Okay. So I'm kind of just going to go in order how I sent them to you, if that's okay. I'm sure that's how you wrote them down as well. So the first question I had was, who is your favorite pick of the draft? This was a tough one because there was a there was several picks that I liked. However, I'm going to go uh-huh. with number 28, Devontae Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say I was surprised that the Packers picked him. Uh, I spent a lot of time before a draft writing several different articles about past trends, tendencies that Goody's had. Mm-hmm. And age has been a big one. If you go back to 2009, I would say it's Ted Thompson's era. Packers haven't drafted a player older than 22. Since 2015, Eric Stokes was the only player they drafted that was 22. Every other, and again, this is in the first round only. Uh, every other first round selection was 21 between 2015 and 2022, other than Stokes. Devontae Wyatt's 24. So for that reason, uh, he wasn't on my radar in terms of a player the Packers might be interested in, just because that's very much an outlier selection for them. However, I'm a big fan of his addition because if you have a true impact player alongside of Kenny Clark. We know they have Kenny mm-hmm. Clark, but another member of that rotation, that defensive line rotation that can affect the run, affect the pass, the entire defensive front is going to benefit. It's going to give Joe Barry more flexibility because Wyatt primarily lined up in the A and B gap during his time at Georgia. If he does the same with the Packers, it's going to give Barry more flexibility and move Kenny Clark around, uh, yep. find more one-on-one opportunities. We saw more of that even last season, and I think mm-hmm. in part that was because of Dean Lowry finding so much success as a pass rusher. But Kenny Clark in one-on-one, obviously that's a good thing. If we go back to 2020, 2019, before that, Clark took a lot of his snaps from those A-B gap spots because it was kind of out of necessity. They didn't necessarily have another player who could fill that role. So when you're in the middle there, you're occupying space, you're eating up double teams. Kenny still put up numbers because he's Kenny Clark, but we can see a more productive version of him, obviously out on the edge uh, in that five-tech defensive end role mm-hmm. um, with a, someone else in the middle that they can rely heavily on. So there's that benefit. Again, if you're taking up space, eating up double teams, that's less double teams for the edge rushers to have to worry about. 
you're keeping the linebackers, the safeties clean to roam and make plays. And in addition to that, when you're or the quickest way that you can absolutely just destroy a play is quick pressure up the middle, whether it's a run or a pass. The cornerbacks yeah. and secondary is going to benefit from that as well. So I like the pick a lot because of just what it can do for the entire defense if Wyatt you know, uh, pans out and you know plays at the level that we've seen him during his time at Georgia. And in the Packers' true base nickel defense, if you have him and Clark as your interior defenders, that's a really, really athletic big man duo that you have. That's tough to deal with, man. And um, both of the both of the Packers' first round picks kind of broke tradition. The Packers haven't mm-hmm. drafted an inside linebacker in the first round since AJ Hawk. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like I put together like my short list. My uh, it was eight players, and it was kind of just based off of past trends and stuff like that. And so, of course, neither of these guys were on that list because of what we just mentioned: age and the position <laughs> that Walker plays. Yep. You know, you brought up the the age of uh, first rounders that we pick, and it feels like we picked Kenny Clark when he was like 16 years old because this guy was so young when he came into the NFL. Kenny Clark's 26. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That is so crazy, man. He's still so young. Um, So the next question I had was uh, draft pick you're most excited about. Uh, Most excited about it's got to be Christian Watson, I think just because of what he can offer. Uh, So let's start with like – Obviously, things can change. Hopefully, he takes on a bigger role. But in terms of immediate impact, he can provide them with that deep threat that they don't have otherwise or didn't prior to the draft, I should say, with uh, Valdez Scantling leaving. Uh, he's got that four three six speed. But on top of that, he has experience out of the backfield during his time at North Dakota State. So not saying Lafleur is going to use him out of the backfield when you have Jones and Dillon, but he can be the motion man. He can be used in those gadget situations, quick screens. Just get him in space and let that speed and playmaking take over. So those are instantly where I think he can make an impact. He is also an All-American kick returner at North Dakota State as well. Packers obviously need help in the department. And, and even Romeo Dobbs, he has 37 career punt return attempts, averaging over 12 yards per return, which is very, very good. But I wrote about mm-hmm. that at Dairyland Express earlier this week. Like In addition to what they add to the receiver room, Packers may have found some return men in addition to that. So with Watson is he going to be that that go-to guy it's third and six he needs six yards hopefully he can develop into that role and obviously that's the player they're hoping he can become right away mm-hmm. I'm not sure but because uh, we all know he still has some development that's needed um, but in terms of instant impact it's the flashy stuff it's the big play stuff that he can add both as you know turning screens into five-yard gains the downfield threat. And Matt LaFleur said at the owner's meeting a month or so ago, we need speed on this offense. And that's what they did. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Samori Toure. Uh, so they definitely addressed all that. So he's the one I'm, I'm just most excited to see because of, I mean, that big playability. Yes, sir. Um, who was the Packers steal? Who is Who would you grade as a steal in this draft? That's a good one. So again, I feel like there's a couple guys you could pick, but I'll go with. Um, uh, it was tough, King- man. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with uh, Kingsley and Agbar. One, yep. if you're going from just a pure draft point, draft pick value, I think Dane Brugler had him as like number seventy overall, and the Packers got him at like one seventy nine. Oh my goodness! Uh, yep. Yeah, there were mock drafts where he was going in the second, and third round. So in terms of value in that regard, I mean that was easily the most valuable pick I think across most consensus boards. Uh, Zach Tom was the other one that I was kind of wrestling around with, but 
it doesn't it didn't seem like it would be a big coming into the season edge rusher you have Preston Smith, you have Rashawn Gary, both were top ten in the NFL in pressures generated last year, but there was a real, there was a real lack of impact plays when they weren't on the field. Now, of course, going from those two to pretty much anyone, there's going to be some level of drop off, mm-hmm. but they need more consistency. They need more oomph, and not just against the pass, rushing the passer, but in run defense as well. And that was really missing. And uh, Whitney Merciless brought that juice in passing situations for those few weeks until he unfortunately got injured. But again, after that, they were kind of left, you know, hanging a little bit. And uh, the new outside linebacker coach, Jason Rebervich, I believe is how you say his name. I mean, he talked about that, how they need more from those other guys. And he wants to have a four-man rotation. So we know what two of those guys are. Who's going to be the other two? Hopefully, you know, you continue to see Garvin take a step forward, Tipa. But again, those are UDFA. Tipa's a UDFA. It's entering his third season. Garvin's mm-hmm. a seventh rounder ending his third season. There's still some unknown, you know, with with guys when they're kind of taken in that in that area of the draft, you know, even with a couple of years under their belt. But I I so I really like the addition of Kingsley because I think in passing situations, third downs or you know, second and twelves, he's someone that you can put in there. He can rush from the interior, from the outside. They know we know they like to put Rashawn Gary along the interior as well. So I think he's someone who can come in and make an impact in that area. And the edge rusher position in general, it's one of the most important positions in the game because you're getting after the quarterback, the most important position. But it's also heavily rotated too. Uh, uh, Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, they were on the field last year for 68% of the defensive snaps. So about a third of the snaps was yeah. someone else. And that's not un- that's not unusual uh, when you look mm-hmm. around the NFL. So you need to have a, at least a third option, a fourth option. And I think at least in passing situations that Kingsley could potentially be that guy. All right. Hey, this is some good stuff, man. Um, so now that we've, you know, talked good about everybody and I'm not saying we're going to talk bad. I want to know who, who is your least favorite pick? So I, I, I don't really have a least favorite pick because I can see the, do I. <laughs> the reasoning, you know what I mean? But uh-huh. I'll go biggest surprise, and it was Quay Walker, again, like we okay. talked about, because not only that he's a linebacker and the Packers don't draft it, but they just gave Devondre Campbell five years, $50 million. Uh, Like if yeah. Devondre Campbell had signed elsewhere and you said the Packers are going to draft a first-round linebacker, I'd be like, well, they need to. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the narrative would change because we'd be like, well, that's a definitely a big hold they have. But they give Devondre the big contract. It's not a position they typically draft in round one, so that was not even on my radar whatsoever. Uh-huh. So it was a massive, massive surprise. But what I will say in terms of what, where we can see their reasoning, I mean, if we look at this entire team after receiver, what's the next position that could have used the biggest upgrade? It's probably linebacker too. You know, that one stands out the most to me. You have your three corners. You have your two safeties. I mean, even if they didn't draft Wyatt, you still Ron Reed, you still have Dean Lowry you can lean on. You have the Smith and Gary. Like they're pretty, at least in terms of the guys are going to see a bulk of the action. They they, you know, we know who's going to be there. Chris mm-hmm. Barnes was okay last season, and it was Up more of a Robin role, which better suited him. Whereas I think his rookie season, he kind of had to be Batman a little bit. Yeah. Uh, exposed a little bit more. But so in that regard, I understand the the selection, even with Devondre Campbell, because he brings, I mean, I think Matt LaFleur called Quay Walker Devondre Campbell clone. Like he's going to be able to yep. cover 
running backs and tight ends. I think early on his biggest impact is going to come in the run game. He was a super, super reliable tackler during his time at Georgia. And mm-hmm. it, <clears throat> when I was writing about him, I kind of I, I said it's kind of like the chicken or the egg scenario when we look at the linebacker situation last year. Did they use one linebacker, Devondre Campbell, as often as they did out of necessity, or was it because that's their preference? Well, based on the selection, it was out of necessity. So now they'll be able to run more of that true nickel with two linebackers, and that's also going to take less stress off of you know having a third safety that you have to rely as heavily on as they have in past years. So that's part of me wonders as well was this <laughs> trickle down effect into maybe why we didn't see an early round safety selection because they know obviously you want to improve the depth if you can, but maybe they know they're not going to have as many snaps from that player. So that we'll have to see how that all unfolds, but it's just stuff that, you know, possible trickle down effect from it. But the Packers defense, if we look at how they could improve the most, it's against the run. They were 30th in yards per carry allowed last year. They actually ranked worse than in 2020. They're 28th by football outsiders rush DVOA and having like, two true linebackers, playmakers like a Campbell and a Walker next together. And again, Walker's a super, super reliable tackler. I think that we'll see their run defense definitely improve this season. If the Packers did anything in the first round, it's absolutely make the front seven of this defense a strength Mm -hmm. and not a weakness. And dude, you don't have you have no idea how long I've been asking for us to draft somebody to help Kenny. I'm like, poor Kenny Clark is getting his ass whooped by two individuals every week for sixty minutes. Oh man, I was I was so happy when we got Walker. Got Kenny and, and Wyatt. Yeah, thank God for that. So this one, if you're not right, you're not right. I wrote down some numbers too. Tyler did as well. We're all gonna give our numbers. Uh what are your stat predictions for Watson and Dubs year one? That's a good one. So I will go with Christian Watson posts, gosh, I'll say 700-ish receiving yards, you know, four or five touchdowns. Uh, The reason being, because I I don't know if that's going to be on the low side, but I think with this LeFleur, oh, he needs to develop. Um, He's going to fit some very specific roles. We talked about a few of them, but Mm -hmm. this LeFleur offense, when it's truly firing on all cylinders, it's designed to spread spread the ball around. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to see healthy Sammy Watkins, Lazard, Cobb, uh, the tight ends, the running backs. They're all going to be involved in the passing game. Um, the more I'm talking, I should, maybe I should go down to like 600. But we'll say 700, four <laughs> touchdowns. And then Romeo Dobbs, uh, we'll, go, we'll go 350, 400, and two touchdowns, three touchdowns. All right, Tyler, you, you made a reaction. What do you got, buddy? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm way off in one direction. I'm not sure. <laughs> For Christian Watson, I had 50 receptions, 600 yards, and six touchdowns. Okay, so we're and, pretty close. Yeah, and for Romeo Dubs, I had 30 receptions for 350 yards and two okay. touchdowns. <laughs> okay. I was, I, was, I was reading it. Yeah. So so Christian Watson, I put 675 and five touchdowns. I have him with a 15-yard per average catch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Dubs, I have 400 yards and six touchdowns. I think uh, he could be a guy that could sneak in the end zone a little bit more because they won't have as much attention on him. So he might be mm-hmm. the guy that could benefit from that. So, so we're all in the same ballpark. Lock yeah. I didn't want to go crazy, but I also didn't want to be like, yeah, he's going to have 100 yards. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, would, I would love it if Romeo Dubs finished the season with six touchdowns. The mm-hmm. Packers are going to be very good if, if Dubs has six touchdowns. Okay. <laughs> all right. So – 
going through the whole draft, how many day one starters do you see? Oof. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to tweak that a little bit and turn it more into like bigger contributors because starter wise, because we could realistically see receivers, uh, Watkins and Lazard are your boundary cobs, your slot, and that's your starters quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so in terms of, you know, starting or big contributors, Walker, Wyatt, Watson, I'll throw Dobbs in there as well. The offensive line gets super, super interesting. It does. Because uh, I think it was Goody mentioned he thinks Sean Ryan can compete at tackle. So, obviously, he's going to be competing with Yash. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you could throw Zach Thomas in there, or Zach Tom, excuse me, uh, mm-hmm. as well. And even along the interior, like many draft analysts think that Tom's best position is center. Like, could he beat out Josh Myers? And mm-hmm. we know Josh Myers has capability at guard. Does he take Royce Newman's mm-hmm. spot? So, it's just the only – the only offense alignment I would, in, you know, Sharpie in, he's starting today, is David Bakhtiari. Yeah. Uh, John Runyon, I would pass him in yeah. at left guard. Um, yep. Even Myers, you know, it's, but still, it, it, it's going to be really, really interesting. So, honestly, Ryan or Tom have that ability, but for the sake of right now making that strong prediction, I'll leave those two out just because I don't know how that's going to unfold. And then I do think that Kingsley could be the third edge rusher. So, again, if we're going off of Smith and Gary playing two-thirds and he's playing 25 30% of the snaps, that's another uh, decent contributor there. And then uh, special teams. I mean, that's another <laughs> area that where he could, you know. That's going to be very interesting. Where we could see him. So I'm rambling a bit here as I go through each of the players. But in terms <laughs> no, of hey. offense, defense, Wyatt Walker, Watson, I think are – the big three Dobbs, I think we'll see his share of snaps. So that's, and then Kingsley I mentioned, so that's five, but I think there's the potential you could, if you want to include special teams, Carpenter and then Tom or Ryan at offense line. I mean, that's eight out of the 11 picks that could end up seeing some, uh, at least decent playing time this season, which pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive if that's how it ends up playing out. Cause it gets, I think it gets lost in the, especially in draft season and free agency. We all focus on what are the holes, what are the holes on this team that have yep. to be filled. But this is a really, really good Packers roster. It's really, really good. I know there's a void at receiver, or at least at this point, unknown at receiver. Yep. But <laughs> you have Aaron Rodgers. You have uh, arguably the best running back duo in football. One's healthy with, if one's healthy, you have Tanyan, who, was starting to come on a little bit last year. You have one of the best, if not the best, still blocking tight end in football in Mercedes Lewis. I think the offensive line is going to be much improved this season, even if it's the same starters, just based on experience. Because that was, you know, there was a lot of movement last year. A lot of guys taking their first snaps. They they had to learn on the fly. And everything considered, they held up well, but they were, weren't nearly as effective as they were in 2020. And that's Understandably so, because of all the injuries. Injuries, yeah. A lot of moving parts. Exactly. We didn't see the same number of explosive run plays on the ground in 2021 as we did in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at, like, yards per carry, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, they were pretty good. I think they're both above, like, four and a half. But a lot of that was them. Like, if you go to Pro Football Focus and look at their yards after contact, it was a lot of them making making some play, too. And then in the passing game, 
you know, the offensive line, they needed to be game planned for each week by the floor. That had to be into consideration where a year before it wasn't really as much of a concern knowing that you have, you know, Billy Turner, super steady at right tackle, David Bakhtiari at left tackle. Uh, so all of that, you know, culminated. And by no means is that the only reason it took a dip last year. It's football. There's a million reasons for everything. But that did play a part. So I think they're certainly going to be improved this year as long as they have their health, even if it's just based on experience, just the added experience. Then the defensive side of the ball, we just talked about uh, the Smith and Gary, Devondre Campbell's an all-pro. That secondary is loaded. So I go through all that just to say if that, like I said, we mentioned where we talk about all the areas that teams have to improve, this team is still really, really good even before heading into the draft. So, again, if four or five of these guys can become decent, reliable contributors and maybe there's the upside of six, seven, you know, that's 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 an impressive draft class that Goody would have brought in. <clears throat> Our buddy Cody asked if we're finally going to see a punter kick return for a touchdown. <laughs> you know, when it comes to special teams, I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to make that bet. I hope, <laughs> improve, but I've been. Oh. I've seen, we've we've all seen this story too many times. I just, I just want now. like a. I just want a double digit return average on punts. Yeah, no kidding. If if they improve at all, that's just improvement because they they were like. They were the worst, obviously, right? And then there was a gap between 31 and 32. We were so bad, there was a gap between the second worst team. That is mind-boggling to me, man. I couldn't believe that. Just Tyler, how many? Like, I was just going to say, think if I was just going to say, think if you're Rich Basaccia. Like, obviously, you, <laughs> you got a tall task to turn this group around, but if they just rank, like, 22nd, like, you're going to be a hero. <laughs> yeah, right? that's a win, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just don't spot the other team 10 points exactly. in a playoff game. Yeah. <laughs> At home, you know, when you're yeah. number one seed. That's that's all you have to do. Tyler, how many uh, day one starters did you write down, buddy? <sighs> I went with three. Okay. It's, it's Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and Christian Watson. I do think mm-hmm. Christian Watson is going to start just to have the, the guy to take the top off the defense. Because even if point. you look at a lot of the targets that Rodgers threw to MVS, I don't even think he expected a lot of them to be completed. He was just throwing them out there so that the defense knew that he was there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just Very having that guy on the field, just to have that in the back of the mind of the defense makes the safeties have to take two steps back, and then you can attack the middle of the field with Alan Lazard. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the guy that gets kind of lost in a lot of these discussions with um, the Packers offense is Cody mentioned the hole at tight end. The guy that I think might actually be a sneaky contributor is Tyler Davis. Uh, he Kind of had a couple of good games later in the year, and with Tunyon being injured to start the season, I think Tyler Davis might have a chance to make some contributions. Actually, that is a great point. He uh, definitely runs more mm-hmm. routes than Big Dog. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so for me, I had four. Uh, I had Walker, Wyatt, Watson, and Ryan. I have him starting at right tackle. I have Watson, obviously, for the speed aspect. Uh, Wyatt, just because I feel bad for Kenny, and I think that, oh, that is just a nasty duo. (laughs) I was defensive lineman when I played, so I love going after the quarterback. And Walker, he's just – and it's not that I don't like Chris Barnes. I just think once in a while he got lost in space. So I think Mm -hmm. Walker has has better instincts in space where he can take away some of that stuff in the middle. And I do agree he is going to make more of an impact in the run game. It's going to be awesome to watch him run down Dalvin Cook when we play the Vikings, man. (laughs) Um, the thing with Chris Barnes that he wasn't really consistent. Like he had like one really good game, he'd have one really bad game, Mm -hmm. and then he'd have a game where you didn't hear his name called the entire game. 
And then you'd have a game where he was standing at the goal line while a tight end scores a touchdown right behind him. Yeah, I'd have a good uh, game. <laughs> I mean, he's, he, he's one of those guys along with like uh, Dominic Daphne, who I could yeah. see under a coach yep. like Rich Bisaccia, who become like really core, you know, good members of the special teams unit this mm. year. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is a necessity nope. to win playoff <laughs> games, man. You can, you can force turnovers. I mean, Dominic Daphne had one against the Rams where he yep. came and he popped the guy pretty mm-hmm. good and we forced a fumble, and that ended up being a big momentum-changing yep. play in that game. The team that won the Super Bowl, and I think that if we would have faced them, we would have beat them. But mm-hmm. Especially at whatever. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to find out now. Yeah, did you, did you see, by the way, that they're, the Rams are saying that they don't want to face the Rams at Lambeau? Or the, the oh. Rams are saying they don't want to face the Packers. They were like, oh, we don't want to go to Lambeau again. They were trying yeah, to say that they wanted to they play our game in, in London. To go to London or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how soft are you? You just won the Super Bowl, man. Come on. <laughs> That's soft, man. Um, do you think this was Goot's best draft? Oof. Um, in terms of what the fan base wanted, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think are you a lot really? of wide receiver in the first round i saw so many people <laughs> oh out. let's not start that conversation what the fans want <sighs> well we're i'm gonna go on a tangent about that i don't oh, ready. <laughs> i don't think that the opportunity was necessarily there because did they have That's the draft capital move up to 10 or 11 of course um but it takes takes two to tango as they say Washington traded out of 11, went to 16. They took a receiver. Would they have been willing to go to 22 knowing they want a receiver? I'm going to guess no. Uh, Minnesota, I know we traded with them in round two, but would they have been, were they willing at that point in the draft to, to, for Green Bay to go up and get their guy at the receiver position, you know, like a Jameson Will? You know, that argument maybe gets a little weaker because we traded with them later. They also traded with Detroit, but I'll, but I'll add – Trading with the Lions is different than trading with the Packers, the team that you're chasing. So I raised that question. And, again, who knows? Maybe Goody never even picked up the phone. I don't know. But I could see those two teams being, you know, in the way and maybe not willing to deal or at least not willing to deal down to pick 22. So then by that point, Jamison Williams going the top four receivers are off the board. And I don't know that Jahan Dotson or Traylon Burks were guys that you trade up for at that point. Um, So that's – Again, just pure speculation on my part, but that's something that I could have seen playing out. And then when it comes to like AJ Brown and that whole trade, again, did the Packers have the draft capital to do it? 100%. But did they have the ability to give him four years, 104 million, whatever it was? No. Uh, for an article I'd written, I looked this up five or six players in 2023 account for 117 million in cap charges. Now, there's yeah. things they can do. They can, you know, extend they can restructure they'll free up additional money from those guys but i mean even if the cap jumps from 208 to 220 that's only 100 million left to work with for the remaining 48 guys Mm -hmm. roster and they still haven't paid jair they still haven't paid rashawn gary and they still haven't paid elton jenkins i just never thought it was feasible from that standpoint that they were going to be able to you know Bring in AJ Brown, Debo, DK, Terry McLaurin, who are on rookie deals this year, and could they Hollywood make that work this year? Yeah. But in the future, I I just for that reason I just didn't see it playing out. So end rant. Uh, to answer the question, obviously it's very early to tell, but I'm yep. gonna go with no at this time. 
because of the 2019 draft where they got Gary. Oh, yes. Same draft. And Elton Jenkins. Same draft. Um, yes. Oh. And I'm trying to think. Jay Sternberger was in there. Uh, Kingsley Kiki. So I don't think there's anyone else from that draft that panned out unless I'm forgetting a later round pick. But, man, those three, those are heavy hitters to land. I mean, you have the most versatile offensive lineman in football. You have one of the most productive edge rushers in football. So right there, two of the most important positions in the game. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, Darnell Savage has his ups and downs, but they just gave him the fifth-year option. So he's going to be back in 2023, maybe first. And when it comes to the safety position, it's asked to do so, so much in that Joe Barry defense from having to protect against a big play to be active against the run. And I could see a younger player like Darnell Savage taking, you know, that learning curve being a little steeper for him than like Adrian Amos, who has more experience. And also he's just like Adrian Amos puts the word safe and safety. He's just Mr. Reliable out there. And so I could see there being maybe a learning curve last year for Savage and potentially in year two of the defense takes a jump. So I guess right now I'd put the 2019 draft just because of those three players. Kadar Holman, Sexter Williams, and Ty Summers rounded out that draft. So definitely just focus on the first three picks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But they were all home runs, man. That's, that's what I I picked 19 draft as well, just because of the first three picks. I mean, Jenkins can literally play all five positions on the offensive line. That is ridiculous. He's like a legitimate pro bowl candidate at each two. (laughs) He is. That is insane. And then Rashawn Gary, who everybody said we overdrafted or, you know, he was a reach. He's turned into one of the best edge rushers. He's still super young. He made the transition from Zedaria Smith to him, basically non-existent and then like you said i love darnell i believe he's a guy that has range and he he hits when he Mm -hmm. wants to hit um if he could put it all together he could turn into one of the better safeties in the league in my opinion i think he has that ability but Mm -hmm. it remains to be seen i hope that he does do a jump like you're saying but yeah those first three picks man and kiki i'm still a little sad that he left because he was showing some upside man Mm -hmm. sucks what happened to him He, he filled in well in 2020 for kenny clark when Kenny Clark was injured in 2020. Um, for me to answer this question, I said on paper, yes, it's his best draft, but that is very, mm-hmm. very, very contingent on Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I I love the Wyatt and Walker picks, and like I said, they haven't spent the draft capital on an inside linebacker since AJ Hawk. And I personally felt the weakest spot in the defense after adding Jaron Reed was Chris Barnes. So adding a guy that you can trust. And that other linebacker spot was a big deal for me. But mm-hmm. like I said, for me to end up saying the 2022 draft ends up being the best is very contingent on Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs if they can contribute as rookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly in play. All right, so this next one is a little spicy. I'm very interested to see how you break this one down. <laughs> With the additions in free agency and the draft, do you think the Packers have a top three defense in the NFL? Oof. Yeah, that's <laughs> – see, there's I layers think, to this one, man. <laughs> there are. I think on paper, absolutely. Um, I mean, we talked about it. They, I, We went through, you know, Gary, Clark, Smith, Devondre, mm-hmm. the secondary, and, our, and the two biggest weaknesses on that defense they addressed in the first round, linebacker two and adding to the defensive <laughs> front rotation. So on paper – I could see it being up there. Um, my prediction for, you know, we get to 
you know, mid February, they're Super Bowl champs, and we're looking back on this prediction. Um, I'll I'll go with no. Um, I'll say they're top ten. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say top five. I do believe the Packers have, if not the best, the second best secondary in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then I really like I like that they chose to keep pressing over Zadarius. Um, it was basically the way I felt that it was going to be last season, especially with the injury with Zadarius. But um, I, I've said this a bunch of times that Preston Smith is the more uh, complete linebacker, whereas Zadarius might have been the better pass rusher, but Preston Smith is a better complete linebacker. He's better at setting the edge, and he still gives you that pass rushing baseline. Rashawn Gary broke out last season. Um, adding Kingsley and Igbari would have been my steal of the draft as well um, to give you that depth. Uh, the edge rushers, and then I see I see Devonte Wyatt starting at the other DN spot. I see Jaron Reed as Kenny Clark's main backup, and you go with Lowry, Kenny Clark, and Devonte Wyatt starting on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. The improvements that Dean Lowry made last year, I think the Packers have a really good chance to have a very, very, very good front seven, in addition to one of the best secondaries, if not the best secondary in the league. So I'm going to go top five. I don't know if I'm ready to go top three yet. Until I see a couple games played. I like it. You got me regretting my decision after that. (laughs) (laughs) So when I answered this, I gave a range. I was like, they're either going to be top five to top eight. Uh, I think they're guaranteed top ten because they were top ten last year. And Mm -hmm. now I feel like we added more pieces. And when we we actually went live for the first round of the draft, and when we drafted Wyatt, uh, I talked about the inside push, right, and how we're going to make quarterbacks have to roll out and you know spread them out Mm -hmm. horizontally. And I was joking, and I was like. Gary's going to have eight sacks just because the quarterbacks are going to have to run out of the pocket. And then after I thought about it, I was like, that is an actual possibility. You're not going to be able to run on us inside. They're going to have to run for their lives. And then good luck because a third of the field is taken away because Jair Alexander is over there. And then you got Stokes closing in on you. And then when you throw it over to Rasul Douglas, he's going to take it back to the house. So you're basically screwed. <laughs> yeah, so for two islands and captain pick six out yeah. there. And, yeah, and then you got covered. Adrian Amos doing everything. He takes away everybody. And then if Savage takes any sort of jump, if he is takes any sort of jump, this defense is going to be scary. That is just my well, personal opinion. One thing I'm wondering with the defense, because if we look back to the the offense, the mm-hmm. 2019, you know, they won 13 games, got to the NFC Championship, but 2020 is where we saw that group really firing on all cylinders. And that, you know, whether it's a rookie player from year one to year two, a new system being implemented year one to year two, oftentimes you're going to see some jumps. Now, what how big that jump is remains to be seen, but I'm wondering that with the Joe Barry defense. Because with anything, there's a learning curve that comes with it. And I think we saw that, you know, last season. They were playing some of their uh, best football towards the end of the season on the defense as you learn, you know, you get more familiar with your responsibilities, all that. So that's another aspect that I'm curious to see as well is just, is there just going to, again, be that improvement just because, hey, we're more comfortable with it this year and what we need to do. I loved the Joe Barry hire. Like since since the Packers picked him up as defensive coordinator, I've been calling him the linebacker whisperer. Mm-hmm. And it it was it like the whole season, Devondre Campbell just proved me right that you know he is a guy that kind of came out of the bargain bin of free agency mm-hmm. and then he was a first team all pro. And that, that fed into me calling Joe Barry the linebacker whisperer. And then you throw in that Quay Walker, like I said, becomes the first inside linebacker since AJ Hawk drafted in the first round. And it's like did you know Joe Barry maybe have an influence on that pick a little bit? And That's now you're point. pairing a first round linebacker with the linebacker whisperer. I I love the prospect of that so mm-hmm. much. Well, I don't know. Do you watch ESPN at all? 
No. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, like I try that. not. I Great try mom. not to as well. But you know, I have a ten-month-old daughter, so it's either Blues Clues or ESPN in this house. <laughs> so I ended up watching RG three talk on Get Up today, and he was talking about the Packers, their losses in the NFC Championship game, and I feel like he was spot on with what he said. He talked about if you look at the teams that they lost to in the playoffs, it was all defenses that were physical, fast, and they mm-hmm. had great front sevens. And that's exactly what the Packers just did, man. And yep. I am so excited because me and Tyler, we talk all the time. We talk Wisconsin Badgers football. We're like, I watch the Badgers because I like watching their defense just absolutely destroy everybody. And now mm-hmm. we might get to see that with the Packers. You know, that's, <laughs> no kidding. that is exciting. So my final question I had is, is the wide receiver room good enough for the Packers to compete and win in the playoffs. It is, but not the, you know, in the fashion that we've seen in the past. Yep. Um, you know, they're going deaf. I mean, look at where they've invested, you know, free agency, uh, spending draft early round draft capital. They're going to lean much more heavily on the defense than they have in years past. Uh, we are, we need to see more of, you know, the, the truer version, I guess I should say, of the Fleurs offense, where it is, you know, spreading the ball around more. But at the end of the day, you're going to rely a lot on what Matt LaFleur does as a play caller to, you know, get those guys in space, help help with that. And also your MVP quarterback as well. He's a back-to-back MVP. He's a four-time MVP. He's got a, you know, you just got a massive extension. It's not, yeah. it's not the perfect wide receiver room by any means, but – Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, plus Lafleur's, you know, quarterback friendly, wide receiver friendly system, should be able to overcome that. And this room, you know, it's obviously missing Devontae. It's not going to be as strong as it has been in the past by any means. But you were able to elevate other areas of this team. If special teams, like we joked about, can go from being ranked thirty second to twenty third. You know, yeah. just just be neutral. You know, you don't have to. Return one, just don't give one up yeah, either. Yeah, you're not they, expecting special teams to go win a game for you. It's just don't go lose the game. Exactly. Yeah. And if the defense can be, you know, number five, number six in the NFL, you know, plus having an MVP quarterback, plus having one of the best running back duos, again, Matt LaFleur's system that can help get receivers open, I do think that they have enough at the position along with the running backs and the tight ends. Uh with the <clears throat> excuse me the receiver room as a whole you know again it's not flashy but you can you have Watkins you have Lazard you have Cobb you have Watson Dobbs more unknowns but you know you have guys to work with mm-hmm. the, the thing that I keep coming back to with this is you have three to five guys that can give you five to seven targets a game as opposed to having one guy that's going to get 10 to 12 targets a game mm-hmm and, and you hope Devon, that keeps the defense guessing a little bit too right. if they're lining up going. Especially right, if they're moving those guys all this? over the place. Yeah. You know, and the people people forget about Amari Rogers, I feel like, when we're talking young wide receivers. You know, you talked about a learning curve. Maybe Amari just wasn't understanding the playbook and going into his second full season, maybe he grasps that concept and him and Cobb, Cobb and Rogers inside are just unstoppable. Mm-hmm. They control mm-hmm. the middle of the field underneath. You got, you know, Tanyan stretching the field up the middle from the tight end position. Then we added speed. So I absolutely think it's good enough. We're obviously going to be relying on young guys a lot more. Mm-hmm. And if we can get anything and he could stay healthy out of Sammy Watkins, I think that could be a steal for how cheap he is. Mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins could really, really, we could look back, you know, we're in week 14, Packers are number one seed, blah, 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 defense is going crazy. 
And people are like, wow, Sammy Watkins looks great in green and gold. That could absolutely mm-hmm. happen with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he played a, a big part in that uh, Kansas City Super Bowl just, just two years ago. If he's healthy and available, I think he can, you know, he's, he's he'll be able to make some impact plays along the way. Can I throw you one more question? Which of the 16, I think they're up to 17, undrafted free agents, which one do you think has the best chance of making the team? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would look at maybe, I have two answers, maybe Tyler Goodson, the running back. Mm-hmm. reason I say that, because I, I think he's a very good fit for what LaFleur wants to do with mm-hmm. the running backs um, in the passing game as a ball carrier. And I don't know when Kylan Hill's going to be ready. So that third running back spot, right. I, I'm a huge, huge Patrick Taylor fan. Yep, um, I, I, I just talked about good fit for this offense. I think he is a very, very good fit for it. So mm-hmm. I'm not predicting Goodson over Taylor, but you never know. And Goodson's um, his uh, like RAS score and his, his testing – actually lined up pretty similar to that of Aaron Jones in, in that regard anyways. Mm. Um, the other name I'll throw out that's interesting is uh, Ellis Brooks, linebacker from Penn State. reason I say that is, you know, if he's – we just talked about the Quay Walker, they have Devondre Campbell. It's His impact's going to have to come on special teams, and I think Chris Barnes can be that as well. But if they keep four, you know, linebackers, if it's between McDuffie, Summers, Brooks, you know – those other two guys aren't set in stone in making the roster. So if he can come in and impress on special teams, you know, like most undrafted rookies, that's going to have to be their avenue. Um, I see, you know, maybe there being an opening. Really, when looking at where an undrafted rookie can potentially come in, honestly, more so than the player, at least initially, because obviously they have to perform over the summer. I just look, what are the positions where there's even that potential? And on this Packers team, we've talked about it, it's just – so many of the roster spots already accounted for it's mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult for any for any of them uh but like a tyler goodson if he could get on the practice squad this season because if we look ahead to next year not to get too far ahead of ourselves but hmm. is aaron jones a cap casualty at that point maybe maybe not but it's a discussion um so I guess those those are the two that stick out to me the most and again a lot of it just has to do because you can on a very, very deep roster with a lot of spots accounted for, you can kind of carve out a sliver of maybe mm. linebacker four is up for grabs. <laughs> That's And the one that I put was for similar reasons. Basically, you're looking at being a backup or contributing on special teams. I put out Trey Sterling. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to guess. Safety is yeah, another very good one. Yeah, and I, that's I I wanted Jalen Peter because Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos both have the potential to be free agents after next season. They mm-hmm. did end up picking up Savage's option, but looking at Vernon Scott and uh, Henry Black both being gone, you're looking at potentially no third safety. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Tariq Carpenter is kind of a safety cornerback hybrid. I do think he suits better as a safety, but um, looking at backup safety, I thought Trey Sterling would be a guy that would maybe be able to help. Um, actually get on the field on the defense and then be very helpful in special teams. Mm-hmm. No, it's a very good pick. I want to – what's your opinion on Danny Davis? Does he have any chance to make this team? This is for the Wisconsin fans, obviously. Yeah, but no. No. I don't think he does, I personally. We, we have so many guys on roster that could fill that punt return, kick return role. Mm-hmm. We have a number of guys now. We just got to get them in the right position, right blocking, which I think 
you know, having Basashi will definitely help with that. But do you think yeah, he has any it, chance? I, I I don't. I mean, I think that his ceiling, at least in Green Bay, is is a practice squad. Yeah, um, if he could carve out a space there, because even like the seventh round picks, Samari Toure. I mean, yeah. if we're gonna count the locks on the roster, Cobb, Rogers, uh, Lazard, Watkins, Dobbs, Wat or. Watson and Watkins. Watson, there it is. I tweeted that out <laughs> wrong the other day. I put Watson, Lazard, Cobb, Watson. Mixing <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Names are too similar. But uh, right. anyway, that's six guys. So two yeah. way a draft pick is seven already. Traditionally, the Packers have only kept six. Not that and then you're looking still that. at Malik Taylor and Jawan Winfrey. Yes, exactly. Some more special teams guys. So mm-hmm. that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. How the hell do we have all these special teams guys and we're last in the special teams, man? Because <laughs> they were all starting. Dude, true that, man. True that. <laughs> okay, I got an actual question for you. Why? Uh, this doesn't make sense to me. And I want to see if you can make sense of it because you're very good at, you know, you're kind of like a comedian where you tell the story and you come back to the beginning. I like that. <laughs> but Tyler Lancaster, uh, not a fan favorite on this show. Um, why was he blocking for, for, kick, for kicks? I just don't understand. Why Why would they have, have no a defensive idea. lineman think, on there? I think the first time an issue popped up was might have been the Cincinnati game, all those missed field goals, because mm-hmm. he was on the right side, the far right blocker, mm-hmm. and he took – what did he do? He took the outside guy instead of the interior, and I think the rule of thumb is take the interior guy because that's the shortest path. Yep. You know, if you can, just throw an arm. But he – he missed or he didn't, it looked like he didn't even, you know, he went straight to the inside or the outside guy and missed his responsibility. And that happened on a few occasions. Um, so I don't have that answer. That's one of those things that goes <laughs> back it to, make sense. <laughs> it goes back to coaching where you're kind of, you know, you don't, you know, you want to try to maybe coach it out of them if you can. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't have that answer, but I know exactly <laughs> what you're referring to because I know I cut a few like clips of it and put them on Twitter like as they happened over the course of the season, and it was uh, way too frequent considering. So yeah, I, I do not know. Yeah, he did that in the playoff game too where he went for the outside guy, and the inside guy was one that got the block kick because yep. he's 6'7", and he had to take two steps and jump. Ooh, mm-hmm. it's almost like you should have blocked inside, smartass. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways... <laughs> I appreciate that, one, that, one, that on one's me. outside of my my uh, my range, my scope. I have no idea. I'm with you though. I just don't understand why we draft all these linemen in the fifth through seventh rounds. Every season we do that, and they're not even on the field. Like <laughs> I understand draft and develop, but if you want to develop, you have to give them snaps. You can't just let them practice for three years straight. You know what I mean? But ah oh, man, I'm now I'm now I'm sad. Cause I'm thinking about the 49ers team again. <laughs> God damn it! And the Bucks just lost. The only team that's doing good yeah. right now is the Brewers. Hey, right, we got the Brewers. They're, yeah, they're carrying right now. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for joining us, and it's it's always good to get more perspective, and we appreciate having that on with us. Hey, anytime. I I greatly appreciate the invite. I'll do this again. Just let me know. Awesome. Yes, sir, man. So the last thing that Jake and I are going to do to end off the show is um, I don't know if you have tons of thoughts and notes on the undrafted free agents or if you just want me to run through them. Um, I don't have a ton of notes on them. Just, you know, little little bits here and there. You can run through them and I'll give my little tidbits. All right. 
I'm gonna run through them all. I'm going through them all once we start. Go I'm through not them stopping. All, all right. right, go, go. I went. Go. I went by position, so I kept it kind of easy to follow along. But yes, starting at wide receiver, Anthony Turner is on a rookie deal out of Grandview. He has quick feet, makes good over-the-shoulder catches, and he's a willing blocker. Um, he almost never goes down at first contact. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically what I'm looking at with Anthony Turner. Next one is Kiki Chisholm, another wide receiver with strong hands, makes good consist uh, good contested catches. Um, he's big but very thin, and he's a good blocker. Um, next is Danny Davis. Like Paul Brettel said, I agree with him. His ceiling is probably practice squad, but um, mm-hmm. he's good hands. He can make some contested catches. He was a trusted wide receiver of Graham Mertz. Um, just, just would have wanted to see him get some more opportunities. Then going to offensive line, they grabbed Cole Schneider. Um, he's a good IQ for pulling and getting to the second level. He's 6'4", 315, and he's durable. Um, he's a potential depth guy. Caleb Jones, he is he is why we wanted to draft Daniel Fa'alele. Uh, Caleb Jones is 6'9", 370. Big <laughs> boy. Huge. Big boy. <laughs> um, he made 12 starts at right tackle for Indiana last year. Um, he would be a, a developing guy, um, but he's got the size to play offensive line. He is massive. Okay. Listen to me for a second because this is one of my tidbits. Him in the backfield with A.J. Dillon on the goal line. Tell me you don't love that idea, bro. Just put out all the beef up there, baby, and let's just go power oh, one in. He is huge. Just tell him, like, hey, run forward go and straight. hit somebody just Hit somebody straight. with don't the other uniform. Somebody. Like, literally just put your head down and run forward. I mean, I <laughs> – you know, in those situations, dude, I always feel bad for the center and the guard because they're going to get laid on by two <laughs> giant people. But it's like, fuck it, man. We need a touchdown. <laughs> All right. Next, George Moore. He's another big guy, not quite as big. He's 6'6", 305. Uh, he's a good run blocker. He finishes plays. Um, he does need some work on some fundamentals, working on his leverage. Um, another offensive lineman, Jameer Jahir Johnson, 6'4", 284 got good size and length he's physical has a high iq in the past game he just needs some work physically and some of his technique um then you get to running backs they grabbed bj baylor he averaged 5.6 yards a carry led the pack 12 in rushing yards of 1313 7 uh 1337 and 13 touchdowns um he explodes through the line he had 150 carries um he ranked um among players with 150 carries, this is in all of college football, mm-hmm. he ranked third in um, shoot thirds in, third in yard after contact and 12th in elusiveness. Oh, so, there you go. So B.J. Baylor could be a, a sneaky guy to stay on the practice squad and potentially get a call up later on. Um, and then, like Paul Brettel, we talked about Tyler Goodson. Um, had a 4-4, 240 was clocked at 22.1 miles an hour in week one of last year. Moving. So he can fly. <laughs> um, he's a dual threat. He's a willing blocker. He's got good footwork. He just needs to build some muscle. Kind of reminds me, like Paul Brettel said, of, reminds me of Aaron Jones a little bit. Um, hey, Aaron Jones is ripped now, dude. <laughs> he's put um, together. Then you flip over to the defensive side of the ball, um, looking at Akil Byers. Um, he's 6'3", 288. He's a defensive lineman. Um, he needs work getting off some blocks, but he's got long arms. And he has good physical traits. Um, and he can stop the rush and the pass. Um, 
Then next is Chauncey Manick. He's a defensive end. He's 6'3", 249. He's got good lateral quickness. He's a good run stopper. He's quick off the snap. Um, he's potentially a guy, in my mind, that could be converted to outside linebacker if mm-hmm. he could slim down a little bit. It's 6'3", 249. That doesn't scream defensive end. That almost screams more of a linebacker size than me. In 3'4", um, yes. Yes. And then, all right, I had to practice this one. This one's not on YouTube, so I had to practice at home. Hawadi Puditao, another defensive um, lineman. I saw six his three. name, and I'm like, I'm not even trying that <laughs> shit. Hell no. 6'3", three, 309 pounds. He bats down a lot of passes. He's 26 years old, so he's the same age as Kenny Clark. So he's an older rookie, but came in undrafted. So give him some work see what he can happen. Um, another guy Paul Brettel mentioned is Ellis Brooks. He's a linebacker. He's 6'1", 230. He's solid all around. Um, he needs to improve his tackling is, is the thing that I noticed with him. He's got good instincts. He's got a nose for the ball, but he needs to work on his tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, another linebacker, Caliph Bruce. He's 6'2", 233. He has a good IQ. He's a good run stopper. Not as much in the pass rushing. Um, he dealt with a lot of injuries, but he does have a coachable attitude. So I always appreciate that with guys. Um, next, going to defensive backs. They signed one corner. His name is Raleigh Texada. Not Texada, it's Tejada. Um, he's 5'10". He plays bigger, but um, he was on the track team at Baylor also. Um Ran a four four three forty. That so, is screaming gunner. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. Um, plays bigger when he's in coverage. He's not shy from contact either. So a guy that's small and he's willing to go make some hits. I mean, if Shamar Jean Charles can find time to get on the field, I mean, I don't see why not for Raleigh yeah. Tejada if possible. Yeah. Um, my pick for an undrafted free agent that could make the team was Trey Sterling. Um, he's a safety. If he can win that third safety spot, um, maybe him and Tariq Carpenter both. He's 5'11", 205. He has that kind of hybrid ability. He plays bigger than he is, too. Um, he's tough. He's a good tackler. Uh, he makes good pursuit. He takes good angles. And he's a solid in coverage. And he closes on the ball quickly. So I actually really like Trey Sterling to possibly make the roster. Um, and then the last guy they signed is Alex Spillum, safety from Coastal Carolina. He's 6'2", 188 pounds. So he's kind of a taller, bigger guy. Um, he's got good size. He's 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 an athlete. That's what he is. He's like a straight athlete. Um, he's almost like a wide receiver playing safety. Watching his highlights because he goes he goes up and he gets picks and then he's off to the races. Um, and he's he's ready to hit hard. He's not shy from contact at all. Um, and he's good at breaking up passes. He actually forced a couple fumbles as a safety too. He as he's making the tackles, he's ripping at the ball and trying to punch the ball out. And then um, he, he potentially could be a guy that helps set deep safety. So um, maybe Alex Spillum is another guy that could potentially um, either make the roster or the practice squad. Yeah, safety is definitely going to be a really big question mark after this yep. season. Um, we're going to have to answer some questions. Uh, in terms of that third running back, I really love how Paul uh, broke that down because you know I, pick, I said either of the running backs, that's what I would have picked for the undrafted, mm. just because you know, you're going to go half the year without your third running back. So if you're, right. if you're one of these rookies and you find your way to sneak onto the roster, make an impact, um, you, know, you could potentially take somebody's spot because he got hurt. You never know. Yep. Um, and they really like Kylan Hill in the return game, but if we, you know, we just talked about it, we have a ton of guys that could be returning. Yep. So if we have somebody fill that role and now somebody is filling the role of the third running back, Kylan Hill could find himself, you know, as the fourth running back. That's right. just how that's how life works in the NFL. It comes at you fast. 
Yep. Um, other than that, very interesting group, man. Interesting group, in my opinion. All right. You got anything else you want to throw at me with that group? No. I just – I really just want to see that goal line set, dude. I really do. <laughs> just put this gigantic yellow pants, dude, out there. Man, those are going to be some big old yellow pants, bro. Fuck, man. And then you have A.J. <laughs> Dillon behind him. Woo-hoo, baby. I like powerhouse football, man. I think we need to go back to that a little bit. All right, I yeah, would... we just—I wanted to get those names out there for people to to have a little bit of <clears throat> a little bit of knowing what these guys potentially bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, undrafted free agents do make teams; they do make impacts. So, I just want to be able to give you know a little bit of tidbits of what to potentially expect from these guys should they find their way onto a roster next year, this year, two years from now, you know, whenever. Yeah, uh, we'll have to uh, work on getting dates. We'll have to make a dates for rookie camp and and mini camp mm. and all that stuff. We'll have to make a graphic for that. I'm gonna write that down so we can get that out there. All I right. want us to be I want us to be the first one to have it out, man. So I'm gonna all look right. that up as soon as I get off here. And I was say I we do we did have the London game announced this morning, so that'll be October ninth. Oh, what do you think about that, man? You think the Giants was the right pick? I it honestly it didn't really affect me. It's a Packer game. I'm going to be watching it no matter what. Uh, I'm going to have to get up really, really, really for work for that one. Yikes. Yeah, that's a 8.30 a.m. local time. But that the best part is I'll be able to take a nap real early, too. Right. Because <laughs> they're going to be done it'll by... It'll be weird. Like, the Packer game will end, and normally it's like the mid-afternoon or early evening, and it'll be noon. Right. Like, what? what we'll we'll know what people now? out west feel like, though. Because right? those, ga- those games start at, like, 10 a.m. normally yep, for them. 10 so. o'clock. Yeah, I remember being in Vegas, and uh, I was there for a Packer game once, and I was like, this isn't right, bro. I haven't even ate breakfast yet. <laughs> you know, watching the game, it's not right. But, yeah, um, yeah, we'll work on that. Uh, we got a really exciting week coming up here in Wisconsin sports. Hopefully the Bucks can take two at home and the Brewers can stay hot. Oh, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to throw it out there right now. Two weeks from this Friday, our mm-hmm. next bonus episode, we are doing – Packers trivia slash drinking game. It's gonna be interesting. So, we're gonna we're welcoming a bunch of people into this, yeah. um, and we're gonna have a list of of drinking words, <laughs> and we're gonna be doing Packers trivia at the same time. So that's gonna be a very interesting bonus episode to see how that one goes. Dude, you know what's gonna be the toughest thing for you because you're gonna be the host. You're gonna be the center man. At the end of it, you're gonna have to keep. All of our drunk asses under control, and you're not physically <laughs> I with us. Off my show. Uh, we're <laughs> gonna run this similar to how Around the Horn used to be run, and I will be Tony Reale, and I will kick you off my show. I have the little, I have the ability to hit that button that gives you the buzzer and kicks you out. So after every round, we will eliminate players, and if you're eliminated, I'll let you stay on the screen, but you start causing trouble, you're out. Yeah, you hear that? Tyler runs a tight ship. Yeah. He's going to be the jokest because I'm giving my my drink. So Tyler's going to be the most drunk. Who is the player in 19? The rules are the the player that has the highest score at the end of the round gets to hand out drinks. Yeah, and you said you're going to get last, so. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, man. Oh, man. I am. (laughs) She said, okay, dad. Whatever. I run a tight ship. I don't care. Oh, I'm excited. That's going to be a lot of fun. That um, will be fun. 
Let's invite all of us. I want a ton of people in here for that one. Friday night, that's going to be litty, dude. We're going to have a great time. Friday night, Packers trivia slash drinking game. That'll be... If that doesn't scream Wisconsin, I don't know what does, dude. Seriously. No shit. If if we would just do it by a lake and be fishing, holy shit, we hit all of them. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wait. By a quick trip, I mean. Oh, dude. And and get some cheese curds? I actually like that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. All right, man. man. We'll see you next week. We're going to be doing the show on Thursday. So we'll have shit on Thursday next week. Yes, sir. uh, Next Thursday. So I will see you next Thursday, man. All right. Peace out, brother. All right, see ya. She's on a boat. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.